0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode, episode eight of the Full Metal Tuxedo Podcast. My name is Gregory, and of course, you know my co host, Patrice.
1: Up close and personal with my sinuses tonight, guys. (laughs) I hope it isn't too (laughs) annoying for you.
0: That's right. If you've been paying attention to our socials, uh, Patrice has been pretty ill recently, which is so unfortunate. You know, I feel so bad for her. I wish there was more I could do for her. And, you know, of course, the content suffered a little bit because of it. Because, obviously, she's so integral to the process here.
1: Yes. So, yeah, the wheels fell off, didn't they? <laughs> yeah,
0: a little bit. But we're we're getting them back on. It sounds like she's definitely past the contagious stage now. Um, yeah. It's not, I'm feeling much better. It's not the uh, the old dangerous... Disease that's going around. She was tested twice. Both times found negative. So don't worry, folks. She's going to be fine. Yes. But uh, Patrice, you know, because she was under the weather uh, for the last week or two almost, um, Mm -hmm. you know, she spent a good deal of time just, let's call it researching.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Let's say that... um, in my fever dreams, I had like YouTube and Gaia just like constantly playing, and so I I watched a lot, a lot, of um, Gaia Network TV, and all kinds of like conspiracy esque, alternative history, paranormal, uh, videos more than what I normally would because it was literally like just on my laptop, all day, all night and
0: well which is different than how, normal because yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah except for it's not like it was yeah
1: i felt like i was in some kind of like sweat lodge uh, with yes. like david wilcox talking about you know like blue avians oh on like yeah. fever dreams so it did feel a little bit surreal
0: oh i can say that yeah i can imagine that well suffering a fever dream thinking about or having to suffer through david wilcox uh yeah, ramblings. Yeah. That would that would actually be like. I think that's the third circle of hell, actually. So, Not there. well, <laughs> no, that's
1: he's he's anti Luciferian. No, wow. Well.
0: So. well, now he <laughs> is. Now apparently now he, he is. is.
1: Um, but what it made me think about a lot was on um, Thursday's stream that Greg did on um, skeptic because we didn't do a video this week. It made me laugh that someone accused us of being paid shills in oh, the comment section.
0: I loved that,
1: which I think is so funny because, yeah, like I'd have a completely different looking face if I was a paid shill.
0: <laughs> I mean, it, it is possible the person was joking. Um, oh, well, my audience is fairly irre- irreverent when sometimes, but the thing is that now that in this new realm of of. Uh, Of entertainment that we're sort of focusing on the, the strange and the unexplained, the and all these theories that people have. There, a lot of people hold pretty close, pretty tight, uh, pretty firmly to a very specific set of beliefs within that community, and they really hate the idea of people uh, pushing ideas that they don't personally believe. And uh, it's pretty common when you find somebody in that community, like a creator or a presenter that uh, presents ideas that don't follow the accepted narratives within the, you know, strange and unexplained community, as it were, uh, that they would end up being accused of being a shill. Because it's easier to dismiss somebody as a paid shill than it is to actually listen to their nuanced opinion on a subject.
1: So, yeah, so it got me thinking about how you know, I thought it was funny that people thought that we were that we were shills. Whether it was a joke or not, it made me think about disinformation agents, you know, um, shills. I,
0: I mean, all kinds. shills and disinfo agents are a real thing, though.
1: So. Yeah. And, but, you know, it made me think about it in the context of the truth. And the episode today is titled, you know, Truth Seekers and Gatekeepers, because gatekeepers are part of, of this, like, you know, one and the same coin, two, two sides of the same coin when it comes to shields. Well,
0: functionally, they're the same thing.
1: Well, yeah, and so that's what I thought would be fun to kind of discuss today is, um, you know, just toying with the concept of the truth and, you know, who deserves the truth.
0: Well, I absolutely love this subject. And, okay, so we've been doing this for what? uh four or five months now doing the tell me more series and then now with the full metal tuxedo that's been going on for what uh three months now let's say um and i okay longer so that. well it's definitely longer than, that. longer than that i don't know the it's almost six months now isn't it? T- time is absolutely flying i gotta say yeah. um Cause since, cause since it, we, we did started 12 episodes
1: this. in the last one we've got we're almost we've only got four to go right Just see, see season so so.
0: which yeah so i mean i've been enjoying the series so much both of these series so much (laughs) that yeah time is just absolutely flying by but so and i have actually been talking about this quite a bit off and on throughout our entire career of doing this the the six to eight months or however long it's been and okay i've actually kind of come around a little bit on it and i'm going to use my uh tinfoil helmet series as kind of an example of this where I felt that because I had a bunch of knowledge, like, and not everything that I say, I'm not gonna say everything that I say in that series was true. Like a lot of that is entertainment. I I make it very clear that it's not serious, but there's a lot of stuff that I mentioned in that series that I do believe is true. And I felt like, because I knew this stuff and because I knew that there were people that didn't want us to know about it, that that meant, therefore it's my duty to inform everybody about it as if it's some sort of an information battle or like it's like I just felt a conviction that like I must tell the truth and now today well okay well I also used to have problems with certain presenters um, certain uh, really famous ones even where I was just uh, paranoid that they were gatekeepers and I just wanted to keep my distance from them not trust them stay away from the kinds of stuff that they say um but now i've i've come around on all of that because i actually see there being a benefit in a certain level of gatekeeping and i do see a benefit in there being a certain level of not well not not necessarily gatekeeping <laughs> like the way that you know like in, in the derogatory way but in the
1: yeah, I'm like, where are you going with this? <laughs> what
0: what I mean is, yeah, I'm well.
1: like, all right, so that's your stance. Well, I'm gonna obviously
0: argue for <laughs> no, that. No, 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 no. What I mean <laughs> and is, I'm that, like, are
1: you a paid shoe? No, wh- like I'm learning live on air. That you're <laughs> back to paid
0: no. Show. no, no. What I mean, what I mean by that is, I see there, I see that there is a danger in just giving people raw information like that without any kind of like. Uh, education behind it and no context behind it Um, and one of the main problems obviously is that you know there's certain groups of people that want to use that information to embolden their own identity group and then you know bolster it over other identity groups because of that there's very nefarious people that do that but then also just think of the the men in black when it's like why don't you tell them why don't you tell the world about aliens it's like a person is smart but people are stupid Like people, you know, given unfiltered information that they have never spent any amount of time thinking about before, and they don't they they know the mainstream narrative on something, but they haven't spent the years that you've spent coming to your conclusions about it. um, That it's it's damaging to them, and it can it can cause panic, and it can create. Well, it can create a bunch of different problems, and I think we're going to get into that
1: tonight. And see, what I've kind of been mulling over is whose truth, like, who has the moral responsibility to to decide, like, which truth is allowed to be spoken and which truth isn't? And who deserves to know the truth? Like, if you you know show enough awareness or knowledge to even ask the question do you deserve the answer and who decides that
0: well i remember one of our very first conversations that you and i had was about how universities for example um hold their information behind um different walls like you have to create you have to have certain achievements to even access information and then even when you do access that information you have to have other certain achievements or be part of certain groups to use that information in your studies. And I remember in the same vein um, as like old Greg, thinking like, that's insulting to me. Like information should just be free. Everybody should have it. But when, again, there is something to be said about making sure that the certain information doesn't get into the wrong hands or that it's not used inappropriately in the wrong studies Mm. and sure sure we could find multiple examples where it would have been harmless for somebody that was a geologist to use a biology paper to make an argument that they had about some sort of a rock formation actually being like a fossilized something from a million years ago like sure like we could you could find harmless examples of it but i'm sure that we could just as easily find damaging examples where that kind of unfiltered information would uh, garble garble the meaning behind something. So, I, okay, you bring up, so I'll let you have your thought here first, and then I was going to ask you another question.
1: Well, yeah, because it is true that when it does come to academia, there are people who have dedicated their lives to this kind of research. And for someone to just come in and take one sentence out of context without knowing all the basic parts of it first, and then at like you know applying that to a sensational claim and claiming that it is like proof of that, you know is, um, you know like that I that's part of it that I don't agree with. Like I do agree that information and knowledge should be free, but I also believe that everything comes with a price. Do you know what I mean? So the price of knowledge is having the time to to learn it all like you got to walk before you can run.
0: Well, I think I'm um, um, a really good example of that is how a lot of um Christians, um fervent right wingers and stuff will use climate change science and twist it how they want to to make it mean what they want it to mean, to say that the climate's not actually changing and, you know, uh, there are lots of examples of information that is free and available for everybody that is like easily misused and mis- misunderstood, and like with climate change, n- uh, nobody is like directly hurt. There's no um, direct victim of somebody like Steven Crowder getting like the information wrong about how how much ice is being lost in the polar caps every year, and not getting the basic math of that right. But with certain subjects like history, when we're talking about peoples and peoples where there are ancestors, uh, like, you know, some of us have ancestors that end up getting discussed in, you know, some of this alternate history stuff, like the alternate history stuff, I thought was very fun for a while. But, you know, you can hurt people who have ancestors that, you know, identified with those groups. Um, So I. Okay, so my audience, Patrice, is very scientifically minded, so they might get a little upset when you say something like "whose truth," because I I'm open to the idea of truth being uh, subject to context and um, sub and you know there being a certain amount of uh, subjective truth in reality. So, yeah, but w-
1: that's what I mean. Like whose truth? Yeah. Because the only truth which is exposed, even by academia, like academia, is the fact is a truth which someone has decided, hypothesised, and it's been approved by already existing academics to be worthy of further study and investigation.
0: Right, but what would you say? And it has
1: to be, and it has to be, um, you know, bankrolled by a university, and it has to be approved. Like there's an approval process. You can't just be a smart person, even if you've been to uni and you're doing all of that and decide that you wanna look into something like that, there, there is like a very slow process right? for what, well, that, be that, that's what able I'm able to be researched.
0: That's what I'm getting at when I say that, you know, you can't just take any random information, any idiot can, you know, look something up on Google, but it's another thing to actually form an opinion on that. And I think that most of the people in my audience would agree that somebody that doesn't have a degree in any form of climate science or anything related to climate science, that their opinion on climate science should not be taken seriously.
1: See, I don't agree with that point because I feel like if you're somebody who is able to apply your process of, you know, um, you're able to apply your process of critical thought to... you You can take that and apply it to anything. If you know, you know, how to look for you know um, sources that are verified and you understand like the the way that information is filtered well what I, for it to be
0: what i mean by that correct well i mean obviously i'd be i'd be a, an enormous hypocrite if i said that you'd have to have a degree in something for your to have an opinion on it otherwise i wouldn't even have a career on youtube like everything i do on my channel is stuff that i don't have academic backing behind and obviously, I would not say that my opinion's not worth listening to, <laughs> not, not just because, <laughs> not, not just because I'm an enormous narcissist and full of myself, um, and I'm in love with my opinion and in, in love with the way that I look, obviously, and the, the sexy sound of my voice. You're welcome, ladies and gentlemen, but um I think that my opinion is is worth listening to because, you know, I think that I've been able to demonstrate throughout these years that I can think logically and that I can find information that is freely available to the public and come to conclusions that are worth listening to. Um, but what I mean though is when somebody is completely challenging the mainstream narrative on something and they have... Um, not demonstrated that they have an understanding of it before they before they make their uh, conclusion. Yes, they can they can use sources and they can uh, quote people and stuff. But you even said yourself that it's easy to misquote stuff. It's e- easy to cherry pick certain information and then um, you know make it sound like your opinion has a backing to it when you know anybody that has actually dedicated their lives so those fields would know immediately that that information has been misused and misinterpreted.
1: See, but I feel, I feel that the opinion of people who may not be completely in, consumed by it is valuable. Do you know what I mean? So it's someone of those things where you may have studied it completely, um, wrote, learned the accepted narrative. And then it takes someone who's got a refreshing perspective to actually go, well, what about this?
0: Well, I like that. I do like that because I think you I know. feel like we, we've done that even with yeah, some of the subjects that we've talked about.
1: You almost get like a, I get maybe it would be like a confirmation bias where you don't look at something with a new lens because you think that you do know it all.
0: Mm hmm. Well, I agree with that, that being too invested in a subject, like spending your entire life on a single thing. I'm really kind of against that sort of mindset in general, though. I guess that it is necessary with certain fields for people to be that dedicated to them. But that being said, when they are, like you live inside of such a small box, you're inside of something for so long, like all you see is trees and you can't see the forest anymore.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I feel like that happens in science, it happens in anthropology, it happens in archaeology.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, where, yeah.
1: And I could understand now if you have, like it's very competitive in those fields as well. If you're somebody who has spent the last 50 years of your life, you know, researching something and then someone comes on the scene writes a book, gets on the New York bestsellers list and it's essentially a complete fabrication which, with cherry-picked information that presents a whole new theory. You know?
0: Now, I'll say that um, universities absolutely do paywall information. Like, I won't defend that. Um, That there is certain information that should just be publicly and freely available that you shouldn't have to pay fifty thousand dollars a year to get a piece of paper or whatever the hell well, to, then who would to be to paying prove... for the
1: research who would be paying for the modif- the modern I,
0: I don't mean all of it obviously some of it is going to have to be paywalled but um when it comes to yeah when it When it comes to the things that, you know, the alternative history community or the the strange and unexplained community might consider um, pertinent information. Like there's a lot of like what if there's a bunch of biological studies that prove that something like Bigfoot could exist, but we just don't know because it's locked away in some university archive somewhere and the only people that have access to it have no interest in it.
1: Because that's a, that's like I was saying. Because people have their entire careers and reputations based on something that they have already dedicated to. So when something comes in from out of the blue that challenges that, that's why they don't they don't those projects don't get approved. They don't get sponsored. Well,
0: and then that's my problem. For, that's my that's problem. It, that's it's money. That's what I mean when I say also, that I can't, can't. That's the thing I can't defend when it comes to universities because there is information. That there, a lot of us want to know about, but because you have to, you know, dedicate your life to a specific field to get that information, and the people that do do that don't don't create studies on it because there is no incentive for them to do it because the universities won't back it, um, the government won't grant it. Like there's just there are specific fields of study where functionally they are mm. hidden from us because. No money will ever, ever, ever get put towards them.
1: Mm. And so then we enter this really interesting world of private research, Mm -hmm. which um, always seems to be... that, And that in itself has a little bit of an ethics issue.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: And so, you know, then by the very virtue of it being privately funded and not having like a big university or something behind it people automatically think that that's means it isn't it isn't good research right cuz it doesn't have the same level of academic integrity or maybe have well, the same fail-safes well, when,
0: when it comes with, to
1: you know you can't do a triple blind study and repeat you know the you can't how do you test something intangible and so that's where i feel like the the failure is the gap is is that what how do you test something where there isn't the framework in our existing academic process
0: when yeah when it comes to private study my biggest problem with that is that um in contrast to say an academic study where somebody to try to you know they're trying to get an a on a paper or they're trying to get Um, A government grant or they're trying to um, get their PhD or their master's or something. They're trying to achieve something academically, basically. Um, They'll come up with a hypothesis and then they study that hypothesis. However, when it comes to private study, and I noticed this specifically being a really big problem in the United States, though I'm sure it happens in every developed country, that these studies get funded, wanting a specific conclusion. Answer.
1: But see, every study does because you don't you don't just study something for the sake of studying it. Well, like you you are out. You you set a hypothesis. You have you know you do pose a question.
0: Greg Newkirk, the uh, from Week and Weird and the traveling. Yeah. Um, Traveling, hellier, is that, no. yeah, it's a hellier series as well. Yeah, so yeah. he's the other Greg. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: he, um, yeah, he, he and Dana are great. Um, anyways, uh, he posted a meme uh, the other day that was made me laugh so hard, and it was like you know the the old Bristol board, three Bristol board uh, panel um, presentations you do for like science class and and stuff, and it was like the first panel was hypothesis. Um, you can tickle plants, and then <laughs> the second <laughs> the you can sec- tickle plants. Well, the second, then the second hypothesis. The, the second board was showing all the studies. It was like, uh, we put a feather on it. Uh, we used pepper, and just another a third one or whatever. And then the third panel was just conclusion: you can't tickle plants.
1: <laughs>
0: and it's like you can you can you f- i mean the, the tr- what 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 that means though is that the purpose of science like functionally is supposed to be that if you're wrong in your hypothesis you've proven through the study that you're wrong and that is just as valuable to science as coming to a conclusion that you wanted to come to but the problem with um Studies where, you know, they want a specific outcome is that it incentivizes the people doing the study to whether they're doing it uh, purposely or subconsciously, like unintentionally, but there is almost always um, behavior that sort of twists the information or twists the way even just, you might change the way you do your study without even really realizing it. To try to get the outcome that you want and like big tobacco is the perfect example of that because for decades they promised us that their studies showed us that nicotine is not addictive we all know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is one of if not the most addictive over-the-counter product to ever come out is is nicotine products but big tobacco funded studies for decades saying that the opposite was true and mm. who was lying though was it was it the incentive for the money or did those scientists were they like hired specifically to create that outcome or did they come to that outcome because they you know because they were manipulated in some way to do their study in a specific way that would create that outcome
1: mm. Yeah, well, lobbyists like tobacco lobbyists and stuff like that. Well, we
0: we know we know the answer with the big tobacco, yes. But I just mean with any study like that.
1: Like, do you remember that movie? Um, Thank You for Smoking.
0: Oh yeah, I love that movie.
1: Yeah, that's like one of those like classics. Kind yeah, of. Yeah,
0: you, you need know. to if you guys need to watch that movie, it'll show you. If you don't really understand like what I'm talking about here, uh, Thank You for Smoking has like a little segment specifically about that. But it also just shows how like the mindset of lobbyists work. Like lobbying is not, does not happen here in Canada the way it happens in the United States. It's like really scary how you can just throw money at anything and it will make anything the truth as long as you've paid enough money to make it the truth.
1: So, you know, speaking of that and speaking of studies, it it made me think about, you know, the, the quality, like what would you do with the truth if you found it? You know, like say even um, our, like this podcast, the, you know, the Tell Me More series. Like obviously when I was in my my fever dreams, I was thinking very deeply philosophically about those things and thinking like, what is its purpose for existing? Like what is the end game that we hope to achieve by asking these questions? Mm -hmm. By like seeding this, you know, curiosity in people. Right. Like what what is the greater what is the greater purpose for that? That we want people to think about things that previously they may have found inexplicable or to encourage them to look into things on their own.
0: Well, you, you know
1: what's our motivation?
0: So you and I I will I'll speak for you here. <laughs> See you and I, you and I, <laughs> if you yeah. want to get along with me, this will be your opinion. Yeah. But uh, no, if if, <laughs> if you you and I, we're just curious by nature. We just want to get to the bottom of things to satiate our own curiosity. And so like when we spent weeks or months looking into Bigfoot, weeks or months looking into Mothman, into, Philadelphia experiment or any of those things, it's because we wanted to know the truth mm. behind it, and we wanted to know what it meant. But
1: but so then, like so then, how does that then translate to us then thinking we should we we are the ones that should be telling people about what we found?
0: Well, and that's what I was getting at in our little intro there. Um, so thank you for weighing into that. Um, yes, because. So not, not everything that I disseminate onto you beautiful followers of us. <laughs> not everything that we we communicate to you is we're trying to enlighten you or we're trying to, um, t- you know, um, we feel like we have a duty to tell the truth. A lot of it is just because we know that a lot of you also have that same curiosity, that you like talking about it, you like thinking about it. Um, my, my youngest brother, Keith... You know, he told me that he loves the this podcast and the Tell Me More series because the kind of stuff that we talk about is the kind of stuff that he and his buddies talk about in the lunchroom at work. And it's like, it's just like, it's just fun. It's fun, right? So and I, I like to think that that's why most people like our series. But I learned that, especially when I was doing the Tinfoil Helmet series, the alternate history series, that there are unfortunately a lot of people that use that information to embolden you know negative mindsets and people sort of hear what they want to hear and then they use that information to put other people down and uh be bigoted in some way and there is that is one of the reasons why i think maybe we're not the people that should just tell the truth about everything that that there is a reason to communicate these things in a proper way to people to disclose them as the ufo and cryptid people would put it we disclose this stuff in a in a more tactful way and i i don't know that we have the skill set for that
1: well yeah i i think that i come come from it as like a wide eyed kind of like wow, look at this interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Look, I don't think that we present information or discuss information um, as an authority.
0: Right? No, no. I think that we do it, like I said, in just, it's a, as a curiosity. Look at this. What do you guys think? That's why I like to end every video with, what do you guys think? Because it is just about, you know, creating conversation about it, creating like uh, inspiring thought about it. Mm. And I like to inspire th- thought.
1: And so then, I, you know, that it makes me think about when we think about the truth and who deserves the truth. You know, like if I – like I would sit in a hunting blind for two weeks and eat rations and ready-to-eat meals and jerky and stuff like that if I could see a Bigfoot. Like if I saw a Sasquatch and I had to sit in a hunting blind and just sit there and wait, I would do it. But that truth would then be my truth. And does that then mean that, like, I have to go out and say, everybody, I saw a Bigfoot on the weekend? You know, or, you know, having that burden of proof where I go, I want to see a Bigfoot, but I have to take all the cameras, I have to take all the microphones, I have to prove what I saw, you know? And for what end? Like, what what, what would I hope to, like, you know, what, what would I gain from
0: that right
1: how would it how would it change the world
0: yeah we i mean i think we mentioned that maybe in the last podcast we were talking about um how we'd be willing to go to one of those retreats and meditate for a month straight just so oh, that yeah. we get like three seconds we see a ufo float over our heads like that would be worth it but like Could you, knowing that you can't really demonstrate that to people, would you then dedicate your life to trying to prove that to other people? Like, what if, you know, what if there's, like, with that, for example, what if reality only presents things like UFOs to people who the UFOs believe deserve to see it, right? And maybe there is, like, a reason why only certain people have seen them.
1: Yes. I think, uh, you know, that it's a, yeah, like, watch, obviously, like, watching people this week, like David Wilcox. So I watched a lot of Gaia this week. And, um, that, you know, his Disclosure series, which he, he did for a long time, there's heaps of episodes on there. Um, it kind of, it made me think, like, I, I tried to figure out what his Purpose was like what was his purpose like he obviously was has been going on about like you know secret societies and people that rule the world and all that kind of stuff and kind of connected it with um, like connected it with aliens and all kinds of stuff but he discusses all kinds of crazy things and I it made me wonder like what's his what was his you know purpose for doing that. Sorry. And who, I think who
0: are you talking about? I had David to take my, Okay, yeah, cuz I had to take my headphones off for one second because somebody is snow plowing yeah. and there's no oh. snow on the ground, so it made a lot of noise.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you know, it's kind of like he he comes across initially as somebody who you know is literally about it for his ego.
0: Well, I'm I've been an enormous critic of David Wilcock for <laughs> well for over it's been almost 20 years now it's been at least 15 years we'll say um honestly like I I David Wilcock was one of the very first people I came across in the like greater online um um uh, truther whatever you want to call it community and uh, the Project Camelot, which I just found out Project Camelot is still going strong. They're still doing really well, which is really impressive. Project Camelot, I'm pretty sure, is the very first YouTube channel I ever subscribed to when I got my first YouTube account, like, 15 years ago or whatever. And I I was always very disappointed with <laughs> David Wilcock. And my biggest problem with him is the way he disseminates information. And maybe, okay, it's possible that it's my own ego, not very likely, but it's possible that it's my own ego (laughs) that is causing the disconnect because I just don't like the way he tells his stories because like someone that Patrice and I have mentioned several times, the Linda Moulton Howe, who is like a journalist. um, she, She tells us information that she feels confident about very infrequently. Quite often, she tells us things that she was told by people she's interviewed, and there's that's she does it in a very tactful way, in a way where she's not she's not identifying with the information, she's not saying that it's the truth, only that what she's heard. And I feel like the way that she does it um, allows you as the listener to sort of discern yourself. What is worth listening to and what's not. I feel like the way David does it, he almost does it in that same vein where he's always telling you what he's been told by certain insiders. But unlike Linda, most of his insiders, are like, there's no reason to trust them at all. Yeah. Like, not none of them, not a single one of them. And then again, the way he tells the story, he tells the story as if, like, he's telling you the coolest thing you've ever heard in your life and that you should just mm. be knocked to the floor by this information but he's saying things that are outlandish and silly and hard to believe whereas yeah so
1: and and that's when we listen to those interviews like I would sit there and think is this is this meant to be like entertainment or is this meant to be serious
0: yeah and we had that you know, de- we had like, that debate too about like what is, this, <laughs> is the audience in on this or do they think that what's going on is real
1: yeah like i don't know whether it's one of those things where it's kind of just like it's a little bit of fun mm-hmm. and we or is this is this dead set serious
0: yeah is this like that creepy part because it's it's surreal
1: to sit there and watch middle-aged men and talk about made up like space programs
0: talking about how in this in an alternate timeline they were a space marine yeah
1: yeah and had an alien wife and like it was all this kind of and had a child that he hasn't seen and you know she looks exactly the same except for her eyes like shine like the universe and it's like what and it's kind of like what is going on here yeah this is
0: david Wilcox's um biggest insider his like number one insider was this um anonymous guy for years and years and years and then all of a sudden one day on gaia i think it was what 2014 he all of a sudden he's just like oh so my insiders decided to uh come out and tell everybody who he is and it's like this guy that has like hollywood uh headshots yeah. and he's like clearly like really into acting and he's really in love with I himself know. would and you he calls would himself, you be like
1: would you literally be in the military top secret clearance like all that what do they call it like they've got the special word for it that they call it and you're like I'm going public with this with these horrific stories of you know human experiments I better go get some headshots taken
0: right exactly exactly <laughs> and I mean I'll say that the Emery the guy's name was Emery Smith so the, I'd say that the Emery Marie Smith uh, series was really entertaining on a let's laugh at the silliness, the absurdity of this kind of thing.
1: Well, like you said, from a thought experiment perspective, again, interesting. Yeah, so well, I'll give them that. And and you like, know what? Because you can think about it yourself and be like, you know, okay, um, is this a possibility? And right. I like that. I like being able to do that. And I think that part of the research that we do and, you know, what we've been um, wanting to kind of, show more and in the next series in the next season of the Tell me More series, I want to show more of us like really boiling down what the main points are mm-hmm. and finding evidence for those points, you know, like if it is even possible and really kind of hammering home those things whereas like these claims, you know have have been, you know,
0: And some of his claims sounded credible. Like, he started off extremely strong when he was talking about his own personal experience working in this one specific secret base, the um, methodical, meticulous series of, like, getting undressed, getting redressed thing that he had to do, go to the secret laboratory, and then he was being given these little... Uh, little biopsy sections of flesh that he had to dissect. And, and then as the years went on, he was getting more and more complex sections of biological um, parts until he was straight up just dissecting alien-human or alien-animal hybrids. And the way he tells that story, it's he tells that story so, so well. But then after episode one, he then starts talking about stuff that he should have no real understanding of. And he he goes into way more detail about it as if he's this major authority on it. And then he just starts ending up sounding like David Wilcock himself. Just sort of yeah. telling these fantastical stories of like, oh yeah, I know this, I know this, I know this, I know this. I, and it's just things that are all outside of his purview as like mm-hmm. a medical doctor that would be doing dissections and- on aliens.
1: And that must be the ego because that must be going, that must be where you go. You're hot for a minute and everyone's like, oh, yeah, cool. He's that cool dude that had that story about cutting up aliens. And then everyone's over it in a month. And then he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I saw a 50 foot, like, I saw a 50 foot conehead under the ice in Antarctica that was surrounded by Templar gold. Um, yeah do you want me to tell you about that story yeah like
0: why would he even be chosen for a mission like that when he in his own words made it clear that even his own superiors wouldn't tell him what he was doing dissections on
1: yeah and yet then you're all even then all of a sudden he's getting chosen to go on
0: all these complex missions where he's interacting with aliens and
1: and the other one was that lost me This shows the level that I'm prepared to believe people until it even becomes, you know, <laughs> too ridiculous for me to, to believe. It's when he said that there was, um, you know, an alien craft that um, had crashed into a mountain in time immemorial and uh, because the alien crafts are somehow living beings, the the cave cavern that this mountain had where the craft crashed into the craft had become one with that and so the aliens that were living in that cavern system were symbiotic to the crash spaceship and all of this kind of stuff and i was just like that's way too much
0: yeah yeah
1: it's how is it not just enough to have like one good story
0: because he wanted he wanted he okay and that's the thing that's the sort of thing i worry about with linda Howe is not her credibility (laughs) but when it comes to the credibility of some of the people that she interviews is that when you get somebody like a character like that likes to sort of talk about these um you know fringe topics that there is an incentive for people to just lie to somebody like Linda Moulton Howe because they like the Mm. attention, they like the notoriety that it gives them, they like to be able to, you know, um, like, like the vast majority of them are anonymous. So you can make the argument that, you know, I'm wrong about that because they're not actually becoming famous for it. Yeah. But they are in, they are still getting clout within that community Um, even as an anonymous figure. And like I was anonymous on YouTube for a very long time. And I can tell you that being anonymous is it. You still get like there still is an incentive to sort of chase that fame, even as an anonymous figure. Um, Mm. So there is an incentive to sort of lie, tell, tell fantastical stories. And I think Emery Smith, if he really was David Wilcox, like um, anonymous, Whistleblower for years and years and years, that I think he's a perfect example of that, how um, anonymity sometimes is not a deterrent from lying. Um, mm. Like, it's with some people, I think that it's obvious that they want to stay anonymous because they probably did work for the military, and they probably don't want to get in trouble or at very least get razzed by the people that they used to work with about it. But that doesn't mean that, you know... That doesn't mean you should trust them but at the same time in some cases i think that it it is a good sign that they are telling the truth
1: yeah and i well the way i see it is that i'm intrigued to hear people you know i can give a good cross-examination <laughs> you could probably you know fair testament to that like when i'm on thinking and like questioning and so if someone wanted to come on my show and be like want to tell a story like yeah that's fine but you have to answer my questions right and so would you go on linda Moulton House show and like you know unprepared with a made-up story i wouldn't no because she would like it's it's the same as art bell like art bell would embarrass art, B- you. art
0: bell is an amazing example of somebody that absolutely would have put the boots to you if you were yeah. not if you were obviously telling a story
1: and, you know, like we were saying this morning, like um, an unexamined life isn't worth living, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, you know, on that, um, with that, in that same vein, like wh- why would you tell a story if it can't stand up to scrutiny?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so if I had a fantastical story about Bigfoot, you know, and you were going to give me the third degree on it,
0: which like, I think I've done before. <laughs> I think that that has happened. I haven't a few seen times. Bigfoot.
1: I would love to see Bigfoot. I'm really upset that I, I feel like the day that we go looking for Bigfoot, you will see him and I won't. And I will be like, now because you have seen a Bigfoot, because I won't be in the woods without you, therefore the chances of me seeing one ever have just gone down because even the chance of you seeing one has now made our chances even yeah. less. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Because I definitely believe that sasquatches exist i know you do against my better judgment
0: i know you do i think and i think the phenomenon is real but i don't know that that means that sasquatch is literally real
1: i believe that he's like a living creature
0: yeah no i don't believe that but i could be wrong
1: yeah what will it take it, like knocking on your like log cabin door at <laughs> two o'clock in the morning it
0: would be it would take me literally seeing one physically interact with the environment
1: mm-hmm. so just going back oh it's it's the top of the hour should we take a little break and see if i think yeah. there's some super chat
0: so ultimately the the point that patrice and i were coming to is that when it comes to the truth and disseminating the truth, sharing the truth, that there is like a responsibility sometimes to, to not just be fully forthcoming with it. Um, Some people that I used to accuse of being gatekeepers, I can now see why, you know, now that I've, I've been through this and I've come to some of these conclusions myself. Like, I think I mentioned it a couple podcasts ago, the, the, cattle mutilation thing, for example, when I learned, you know, when I figured out why it was going on, I realized that there's no way that I can tell people because it would do more harm than good to share that information. So, you know, some of the people that I used to accuse of being gatekeepers, like I've come come around on that. And there is like something to be said about the, uh, uh, a few good men line from uh, Jack Nicholson, when he said, you can't handle the truth. Like sometimes you have to be tactful about sharing the truth.
1: So in the next hour, what I think would be fun is we'll go through some people who like you and I think either could be, you know, withholding the truth or people that have put in or are disinfo. Because I started to think that about David Wilcox in the end.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I think that
1: there are some things which he knows and some of the things he says are real. And then that's the reason why he talks all the crazy. Right. Because it makes you think that all the crazy is crazy. So it's gonna be really interesting to go through people that we think could potentially be gatekeepers and whether they are or whether they're not. So
0: So gatekeepers, shills, and disinfo agents are very much real things. And I use those in all the negative context for all three, so. Yeah, we only have the one super chat for now. if you guys want to have your voice heard on the air, live, uh, the fastest way, of course, is to send us a super chat. But you can also send us an email to tuxedo at gmail.com, and we'll read your story on the air. We'll have uh, three stories in the third hour here to read for you guys. And every once in a while, we do bonus episodes where we pretty much just read stories. So we love that. Just like Art Bell, send us a firsthand account. So... <laughs> Um, from Stabby McCutbleed, that's a l- lovely name. You... <laughs> <laughs> Longtime fan. Gregory's armored skeptic character has always deeply resonated with me. I recently started a relationship with a pagan. Any tips for a fellow skeptic on opening the third eye so I can connect with her better? Well what
1: a coincidence! Yeah,
0: that's exactly my experience. <laughs> <Boy>. <laughs> Um well the first thing i would say is just um just be very open minded um even if oh. you don't challenge every single thing you hear take everything with a grain of salt obviously you don't have to believe it all but um let them sort of live in their truth as it were
1: um, I'm interested. I'm so interested to hear this answer. I thought you were just gonna throw it straight over to me.
0: Oh, but well. Anyway. I, of course, I want to hear. want yeah, like, I want to <laughs> hear your opinion, but I'm, from my from my experience here, um, I don't. I'm not gonna say my third eye is open, though. Maybe it is, <laughs> but I, I think it is. But um, yeah, obviously, even just the fact that you're dating a pagan shows that you've got an open mindedness. So. Um, You will find, though, a lot of truth in that mindset. And, you know, sometimes it's abstract. And I think that that's that's the big life lesson that you and I are probably going to learn there, uh, Stabby, (laughs) is is that not everything in the universe, not every thought, not every concept has to be fully literal, that there is benefit in the abstract thought. Uh, But yes, of course, I want to hear the resident pagans' uh, (laughs) perception. Uh, perception of this
1: well to answer your question I think that to connect better to be you know I always think that a great place to start for people that are getting into some kind of like spirituality like that is just to start really small like if you don't meditate already you know maybe just start with something like that and you don't have to start with you know really long meditations or anything you can start just by doing a minute you know um or do guided meditations on youtube and um i think even just you know in any kind of like spiritualism aside or pagan beliefs aside just taking that time to take a moment to like focus on your breath and you know uh have a moment of silence even if it literally is for a minute like you start with one minute might be two minutes might be five minutes and you might be a half an hour you know even just taking that time every day i guarantee you that you will see a difference in your mental health and also like part of opening your third eye per se is is truly about like balancing your chakras so and and you know, it's kind of almost like yoga. Like you don't go into a yoga class and, you know, decide you want to do a headstand straight away. Some people can, but for the most part, we have to focus on like working on our base. And that means, you know, being grounded and just looking at like the real world um, ways that instead of seeing it as like all airy fairy, you know, just looking at it, Uh, how can you be more grounded in your life? Like, is there better ways that you can, you know, and being grounded is about your physical life, you know, like even if it's having a clean, clean home, like doing things like making your bed in the morning, like just things which can um, ground you as a person. And then eventually like you work your way up through, like you, you use the chakras, as a guide to what you can fix in yourself, to be a better person in yourself and opening your third eye is kind of one of the last things that come from that when you're a balanced person.
0: Yeah. I agree that, um, at at very least, if you just learn to center yourself, (laughs) you'll learn to appreciate that whole mindset is so much better. Um, I love Mm. meditation. I don't do it every day, but I definitely should. That, uh, yeah, huge, huge benefit to your health and your life. Um,
1: I think it's always good to, like, get a couple of crystals. I'm a big fan of the crystals, not because I think that they actually do anything. Like, I I believe that all things have, like, certain, you know, like, a vibration. But I don't necessarily know if, like, you know, putting this crystal in your water is going to, like, you know, make that, that water magical. No. But I do know that if you put crystals in your water... Then you're probably going to drink more water, which is going to be good for you. So even if it's just like an intention setter well, or a reminder of something, like that's that's good too to bring something to the forefront of your mind.
0: Well, I mean, I've I'm trying <laughs> to learn about crystals, and the one thing I can say for sure is that when you set an intent on a crystal, even if it's just a psychological thing, like it does improve, like it does improve uh, the way you behave, the your routines, um, it does it does attract good things to your life, but that's probably because you're being a better person. And when you're a good, yeah, when you're a good it, person, good things happen to you and people like you more because you're a good person.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, um, yeah, just I'm reading those comments. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm
0: definitely not. Uh, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm definitely at not. them en- <laughs> and I'm laughing because it's like. <laughs>
0: I'm definitely not endorsing crystals, but like the. The mindset behind it is just like Patrice said. You put you can be crystal. anything.
1: You could get a crystal. You could get a sticker. You could get like a bottle cap even. Yeah, just that anything. Bottle cap has a meaning for you. Right.
0: Just like as long as you're setting an intention on something that this like lucky coin now means that you know such and such is going to happen to me. Like it will. <laughs> i read some of these. Y- like it, it will. Chats. Yeah. Go ahead. It's <laughs>
1: making me laugh so much. It's Like, <laughs> like sorry. Just get some crystals, bro and make a pyramid to put on your head <laughs>
0: yeah exactly exactly so uh we're gonna take a quick break here oh, um, i'm gonna replenish my water <laughs> bottle and uh then yeah we're gonna come back and talk about a few possible shills gatekeepers and disinfo agents
1: yes <laughs> all righty
0: We are back. Hello, everybody. So. (laughs) Yes. uh,
1: Oh, welcome to my Patrice's metaphysical hour where we're (laughs) just going to talk about all things magical and mystical. Imagine. I would love that, actually.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I would like to go more into that whole realm, though, because... I think that that's probably the big disconnect between my audience and and me my old audience i should say not you guys you guys are cool (laughs) no like my old like staunchly skeptic audience how they they don't really understand now that i'm being less of the character and more just honest about the way that i think that i can see why people think that maybe you're influencing me because of that but I mean, I
1: I find that hilarious because you're so stubborn. Like, (laughs) I really don't feel like I'm like, yeah, someone mentioned that in a comment on your stream. And I was like, wow, that's hilarious. I'm like, I'm so flattered that, you know, that they think that I could like, you know, influence you.
0: (laughs) When yeah, when Patrice and I first started talking, like I was already here, guys, this is like this is I was already here. Like, I'll admit that I've learned some things from Patrice. But only because I was already in that mindset and already open to it. Um, mm. And I gotta say that, yeah, like like I was saying in response to the last Super Chat, it's just like, it is about allowing yourselves to be open to things that are less literal and being able to live in a slightly more abstract mindset. Mm. Um, you'll see a lot of benefits in your life, I think. Because I I think that reality is only like, There's a reason why our minds can go outside of the box of reality, I think, and that reality is not all there is.
1: Yeah, I would love to eventually, I think when people get to know me a bit better, because I couldn't, like, I would love to talk about consciousness and all kinds of stuff like that. But, like, I feel like I need to have a bit more rapport before I put myself out there. For the internet to flame me and <laughs> my beliefs. <laughs>
0: yeah, so I'm I'm happy to be the, the target of everybody's frustration and uh, and disdain and uh, mockery right now because I actually I really don't mind being um, you know on the center stage in that way because there's nothing I don't a, mind
1: either. There's nothing. Everyone kind can... of oh, whatever. You go. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there's nothing that i really say um in these new series that i'm not willing to stand behind and if i do say it if it is something that i change my mind about obviously i'll i'll come out and say that but um the whole point of this series is to challenge ideas and to challenge thought and to to question things so of course i'm the subject of the of that i'm the subject of the question and the challenge so i'm happy to be that
1: i mean like everyone's entitled to an opinion on whatever they want Exactly, you know, and if I give information freely about what my experience is, like I don't expect that to be your experience, or even to emulate that, or to tell you that that's like the way you should do it. I think that that's something which um, a lot of people get wrong, especially it's well, you know, in any kind of religious you know, whether you're spiritual or if you believe that you're a born-again Christian or whatever it is, like you get really excited about it when you first realize that it helps you. And so you feel like you gotta, you need to tell everybody about like, you know, what, how it feels, all this kind of stuff. Whereas I don't see it like that. Like the way I see it is I just like do me, just like do with what works for me. Because what kind of like moral authority do I have to tell people that they're like too bogged down in their own bullshit and that they should change it like some people are happy there you know the best thing that we can be the best thing that i can be is like just a place where if people want to come up for a breath every now and then they can like come up and be like talk to me about how i'm living and they can go back to that if they want or they can go and do you know change it up make it work for them you know So it is interesting, like, when people want to ask me questions about that stuff, then I'll answer it. But I'm not somebody that would openly preach about it. Right. Because I feel like everyone's own personal spirituality, however they want to connect with the world around them, is purely individual. And some people may do that by being atheists and skeptics. That may be a way that they feel better connected to the world around them
0: somebody kind of challenged me in that way in the the stream i did on armored skeptic on thursday saying like isn't it child abuse like when i said that i'm you know i'm secular and i think that people should be allowed to believe what they want to believe and teach their kids and their family that and they challenge mm-hmm. that saying isn't it a child abuse to teach your kid blah blah, blah about religion and no it's not every thing that is not literally the truth that you teach your kids is child abuse. And there's like so many benefits to the community, to the solidarity of religion, um, the religion that my family came from. It was like based out of a united church. And it was really more about just being good people, being a community, being good to each other. And like, I, I never saw any negativity come out of that community ever. There's n- I look, e- even when I was my my most staunch in my atheist phase, back in like 2014 I would not say that there was any negativity that came out of that mindset other than it just sort of opened me up to stuff that did become sort of negative in my life but that's <coughs> that's less the church's fault and more my fault for you know a, kind of going down those paths in the first place um but no like like you 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 should be free to teach your kids about the metaphysical about spiritualism about god about you know any of that stuff like it would be abuse if you taught your kid that hell was real and literally every single thing that they did was leading them one step closer to eternal torment i think that's that's might be uh skirting around the idea of child abuse but just right. just being like you could find examples of people abusing their kids in the name of religion but that doesn't mean that
1: why do you do this every time? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what can we talk about that hasn't got me demonetized in a while?
0: But that doesn't mean religion is inherently <laughs> negative, that spiritualism, that new. I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of the new age, uh, I'll say. But I, I know a lot of people that are into it. Um, and again, same thing. It's like there's positive and negative in that community as well so not everybody that is a new ager is part of that negativity
1: well a lot of people that don't they would not believe that they weren't being negative anyway (laughs) even if it comes across like that to other people because when you're in that like they would find that very offensive because everything if you consider yourself new age then you're considering yourself as part of the movement into the fifth dimension beings into a crystalline existence right
0: well I can challenge somebody's ego on that if I need to. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know
1: what I mean? So they wouldn't say that they're doing it to be de- like, and and that's the thing too. Like you know, we talk about whether a lie, if it's a lie or if it's something that you're not sure about. Like, is it is it damaging? Like, is it really? Um, does it make it okay? Like a white lie, does it make it okay? Right. If it doesn't hurt anybody.
0: I think a white lie is a really good example of why um people who don't disseminate or don't uh, aren't fully forthcoming with the full truth in like the truther movement. How yeah. that's not necessarily gatekeeping, that's not necessarily shilling or um being a disinfo agent, that there is sometimes a benefit to not just blurting out the exact truth because of the damage it can do. So like mm. I would say that even when some of the people that we do like tell white lies, that, that it's forgiven because because of the damage that can happen because of that. But Patrice and I do want to talk about some people that we're not so sure are telling white lies and we're more convinced maybe that they're at, at worst a disinfo agent, but at best just an egotist that yeah. is, <laughs> just likes being the center of attention
1: yeah sorry sorry what was that <laughs> well yeah i'm worried about him at the moment he's been three weeks off it's
0: oh yeah like... he's disappeared
1: but also i've got hope because elizabeth wilcox is beautiful
0: What well, his wife uh, well his, she is beautiful absolutely she's a black belt by the way like she's like genuinely a disciplined well-rounded <laughs> centered person And yeah, at the end of his last, at the end of his last live stream where he's just like ranting and raving about total nonsense, please don't watch it guys. It's, it's actually bad. But at the end of the live stream, she comes out and she's just like, I don't really uh, believe any of this stuff that David talks about and I don't really care about it, but I have to listen to it all the time because I'm married to him. I just think that we should all just be good people to one another and we should be encouraging uh, positivity in our lives. And it was just like, I stood up and applauded when i heard her say that because it really just sort of destroyed everything Oh, she
1: just took an anti-aircraft like <laughs> Donna, and she just watched him like she just decimated him for three hours like rant and then in like a five second sentence she was like totally oh, yeah, destroyed so, um, it yeah so what you really should be doing is this <laughs>
0: yeah i love that she just like it was so quick it was like within 10 seconds, she just totally destroyed the whole three-hour live stream. It was beautiful. It was
1: hysterical. I was like, wow, I wonder if he raged after that. <laughs> oh. So, but yeah, who, aside from him, who's the first person that you think of when you think of, you know, disinformation? I wonder if it's the same person that I think of.
0: Why? Who do you think of?
1: Who do you think of? <laughs> I asked you first.
0: Okay. Uh, Richard Doty, I think, is a That's
1: exactly what i
0: <laughs> Richard Doty is like the quintessential disinfo agent. He's not it's not even a question. He a hundred percent is. He even admitted as much in the interview yeah. that he did on uh, Mystery Men. And what's terrible about that though? is that he plays it off like now you can trust him because now he's not part of the Air Force anymore. No, he 100% is still doing it. Nothing that man can says, nothing that man says is trustworthy. Not a word of it.
1: Yeah, and it's like outrageous. <clears throat> and from that perspective, like I find it highly entertaining.
0: Oh, well, like, he, he is crazy. absolutely entertaining on that level. And he has, oh, yeah. he has been interviewed. There's a whole series of interviews of his on the Gaia network and they're some of them are not worth listening to some of them are really dumb but
1: I think that they're fun just because they're dumb but, because I was just like that's just crazy but like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard
0: I think it's the smug the smug, his smug attitude when he, when he gives the information when he tells his stories I think it, that has always sort of bothered me about him and part of that is just again that's probably again my own ego I just don't I just don't like characters like that, but...
1: It's crazy he's getting airtime still.
0: I don't understand it. Like, the man admitted that you cannot trust his word, and yet he's still getting interviewed like he's an authority.
1: (laughs) I was just shocked that he... You know, I thought that he was going to be on there talking about how he was a disinfo agent in the 80s and, you know, kind of explaining all of that and who his keepers were and, you know... But to hear him talking about, like...
0: The type of alien that he, he hunted down once because it escaped from his jail cell and then describing in great t- detail its biology?
1: Yeah, and I was just like... That's
0: not what you expect to hear from somebody who admitted to being a disinfo agent. If he was actually, like, coming out, like Patrice said, to um, be transparent about his life as a disinfo agent, he'd be telling us about how yeah. disinfo works but he doesn't do that
1: and that story in particular was really disturbing to me oh yeah because he he not just he not only talks about that he also talks about um the the roswell crash aliens called like even and um you know all of the things that they did and he also talks about like project Serpo which is really interesting and I really want to do an episode on the Tell me more for the Tell me more series on like Project Serpo and all of those claims as well um, but yeah that story was like horrible mm-hmm. so from a you know the, like the well, story was a humanitarian it, perspective yeah the
0: story was in a nutshell that this there was this alien that had been held in a jail cell underground. Somewhere near um, Area 51 for 40 years, and it escaped mm. once, and it got about 80 miles away or something like that before it got hunted down and, and recaptured again. And It's like all that, like um, it, that thing. Whatever and it
1: refused that, to it refused to communicate with them for like 30 years.
0: Yes, yes, and then only near the end decided, okay, fine, I'll try to make my life better by telling you guys some stuff. But if that story is true, then Richard Doty is a monster for being a yeah, part of that. Yeah, it's like
1: it's like a. I don't know how they can hold, like, these... And it was trying to escape, so it obviously didn't want to be there.
0: Obviously. And it was a single alien with no technology. How much harm could it possibly have done?
1: Isn't it? That's almost, like, assuming that that's true. Like, that's like holding someone without charge. It's almost like a war crime.
0: Well, that would be a war crime if the Geneva Convention extended on to extraterrestrials, which it does not.
1: Yeah, or, you know, and... uh, so to even come out and talk about this, like this is something that you've done, that you've been part of this mm-hmm. and not re- to not expect any kind of recourse. But
0: he said that's the worst part. So that's the part of his character that I hate the most. How would you is that ever he, like
1: admit that? How to- would you ever admit to essentially psychologically torturing something? He
0: told that story with such reverence. He had a huge smile on his face, like and he was like almost like proud, like he was acting like he was proud that he was part of that, like that's Mm. disgusting if that's true so if you don't know who richard Doty is um he got most famous for uh his role in the paul benowitz story paul benowitz was this guy that discovered uh, a deep underground military base he discovered weird um secret communications that were happening um and uh, because he he was like a he was a an computer technician and a he he had this. He owned a a technical business that was like he was very successful. He was a multimillionaire, and um, so he had basically discovered stuff that probably the military was doing, that the military had no idea that private citizens could could detect yet. So him basically coming to the military and saying, "Hey, look what I've detected!" They're like, "Oh crap, our stuff is being detected." So immediately. Richard Doty shows up at this guy's door. Long story short, by the time they're done, um, Richard Doty has literally driven Paul Benowitz insane. Paul Benowitz has to move, live in a, an insane asylum. He spends at least two different uh, periods of time in there, and he ended up dying in the insane asylum. And it was because... Uh, Richard Doty was constantly gaslighting him and feeding him this nonsensical information, driving, just driving him further and further into insanity. Like, he completely lost his grip with reality. And then Richard Doty tells this story like it's Paul Benowitz's own fault that that happened, that Doty had nothing to do with it. That he's, he, again, says it with a big smile on his face. Like, no, it wasn't me. He was already going crazy.
1: I yeah, had but to he do with made it. them believe that they were coming to him on behalf of a secret organization called the Avery, which was in cahoots with Majestic Twelve, right. and that they were trying to feed him information. So they, right. he essentially believed that there was there was an imminent alien invasion. Exactly.
0: Well, and I can imagine just the, the stress, paper, Just the stress of that would drive me insane.
1: Yeah, because he. You know the things that they they did humor him. They did humor his um, theories because they were intrigued to know what he could figure right. out. But what's really funny is like like I said, I saw that article about that um, project Aquiline or whatever it was. Is that what it was? About the drone technology, which was oh um, yes, based on a, nu- a nuclear battery, which is minute, and it was right. only like a five five foot wide drone technology, which was being tested out there. Right. So, and that was like ridiculously top secret because the success of that project, because it was designed to literally look like a bird.
0: Right. It was, yeah, it was called. The
1: success of that project was determined by it remaining top secret because if the Russians found out about it, it would have been just completely out of the water. Apparently, there was a two year like screening process for people to even work on that project yeah. and that was only declassified last year
0: but right so but what they had patrice the the project that patrice is talking about they created a drone that looked like an eagle and it was powered by a miniature nuclear reactor and this was designed and functional in the 60s like, yeah. a, a try try telling people in the 60s when nuclear power is still technically in its infancy that the military has figured out how to miniaturize it and also operate a drone with it. Like, and, and think about, like, all of that, like, drone technology we like to think is fairly um, recent, new, new but... To because uh, think of all the other technologies that are implied in drones like the remote control ability from long distance the cameras and the sensors and, and all of that but this thing w- had the ability to do that in the 60s
1: yeah so in the 60s it had the ability to be airborne for 30 days 30 days and other, yeah the craziest part is as well which trips me out it's like our own like we only really know things that work on, like nuclear, bit batteries, like nuclear power, as being like submarines and stuff like that, like big.
0: Yeah, large reactors. Large things.
1: So to think of it as something which can be in the sky, and five five feet wide, and it had the ability to take photos and also drop, drop like information and things like that. It was designed to be, like, um, remote controlled by I- people.
0: I've said it a million times like saying, yeah. I've said it a million times um, that uh, the technology that we have today like touch screens and smart technology and m- miniaturized computers and all that like at whatever whatever you want like all the technology we have available now the military or some branch of the military had it 30 to 50 years before it came out on the shelves mm-hmm. and like that's something that the conspiracy theory talks about a lot our community talks about a lot but it's true. And like that, that drone is a perfect example of that. And I remember even saying that in my original UFO series, my, my skeptical one, that I am fairly convinced that the vast, vast majority of uh, UFOs that were spotted were early drone technology.
1: And, you know, when you think about it now, with these projects becoming like in the 50 years past, being available via freedom of information kind of makes sense oh absolutely They may have been um monitoring you know they may have been monitoring the surrounding areas especially if they were fucking around with nuclear technology and aircraft absolutely in uh, in the early days
0: absolutely so can you think of any other Disinfo agents that sort of irk you. Me. Yeah.
1: Well, I was gonna say too, like with, with Richard Doty. Just quickly, I will answer that question. But like, why would he be doing it now? Like, he's not even running it oh, now.
0: I think it's just. So the- I don't
1: even. I don't even. I feel like now it's like a cash grab for him. Like I don't oh, yeah. think that he actually knows anything else. No, I agree. I think that he's just he's just using his notoriety, the fact that people like he loves to being the bad guy
0: yeah he well, is
1: the bad guy yeah in the UFO he, he
0: plays the villain which i think is interesting because that's another reason why i think that it's weird that he doesn't lean into that more mm. um but i think yeah absolutely like what we saw on gaia for example was just his ego that's just him like having fun playing a character getting getting recognition for it um but I think though he still goes to like MUFON conferences and stuff, and I think yeah. that he still participates in the community because he probably still, like, he probably still does communicate with the Air Force about the kinds of stuff that mm. people talk about to let them know, like, oh, they're getting a little too close on this, like, you guys <laughs> should probably like, you know, do some PR to to get draw people's attention away from this that or whatever. So I think that, I think, that st- I think he still operates on some that. capacity.
1: Well, you there's know, better the people.
0: Yeah, there's better people for it. Sure. Then
1: him, and Richard Doty. Like, yeah. who's going to tell him? Well, Is this him, I like- mean,
0: Even just like going He's not to, trusted. Even just listening to the lectures, though, he can still operate on that capacity, though.
1: Mm. Well, you know, in the same vein, like John Lear. Mm.
0: John Lear. I am extremely so, suspicious of John Lear. He
1: was so active yeah. on all of. The like early 2000s forums mm-hmm. on, on heaps of things, talking about heaps of stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean?
0: So, I I accuse John Lear um, of being instrumental in creating the Bob Lazar Area 51 lie that they managed, that it, he was the mastermind that basically pieced together because he had already admitted and he was already in trouble with the Air Force for, uh, for, um, essentially he was spying on the air force and he had uh, figured out about this the original stealth bomber like almost a decade before it was declassified and um so he like i think what had happened is he had learned about this one particular test that was done every single week at the exact same night at the exact same time and he knew that he could take a camera crew out to Area 51 and watch this light go up in the sky, cross the base, then go back down. And then he he took Bob Lazar, who probably worked on... Um, he probably worked at the facility, but definitely not as like a... He definitely wasn't reverse engineering UFOs. <laughs> but he Bob probably, Lazar. But probably wasn't. But he definitely worked at the facility. Like some of the information that he gave definitely was true. And so... Well, so rich uh john lear knew this and then what he did is fabricate this story is like using bob lazar as the character and it said look bob lazar has been working on ufos let's go look at a ufo and then you see a light go across the sky and it's just like ta-da magic trick done now my narrative is true because you've seen the light dance across the sky and i think that john lear was instrumental in sort of creating
1: that narrative yeah, and the thing about that as well, which plays into all of that, is the Crew Report that we read, which was on which was that bizarre document that was on the nineteen eighties, like, you know, forums and everything. And they're the reason like there's there was massive like eighties drama about the crew report. Right. And I wanna do a deep dive into that properly as well.
0: We need to because you know, explaining
1: that because I feel like the crew report will if you don't know what that is like even knowing about its existence and when it kind of became public knowledge like in the late 80s um, will make you want to call bullshit on heaps of people through the 90s and early 2000s stories. Almost
0: every famous UFO whistleblower or figure from the late 80s to the late 90s to even like she said, the early 2000s, they derived these narratives that they created based on this story that was built uh, put together on uh, in this Krill Report. And it, re- like, re- yeah, reading it really dispels a great good deal of the narrative that the UFO community pushes. Not just on UFOs, but on aliens, on deep underground military bases. Phil Schneider, one, like, you should watch my uh, Phil Schneider Dulce-based video on Armored Skeptic. Phil Schneider 100% got his story based on it's this sto- on, on the Krill Report. It-
1: it's weird because they reference like John Keel as well. Yes. So John Keel is, was like the dude that wrote the book on Mothman. And you know, he was up there with, you know, with kind of the more better known Fordian researchers. And so I found that really weird as well. Cause then well, that's connecting that to all of that bizzo, well, you know, and he was the first one to reference men in black, you know,
0: John Keel is my next example. Of oh. a disinfo agent. Disinfo. Yes. So I'm glad you brought you know him what? up because right. the, that's that was one of the things that really killed me with the Krill report was that <laughs> the fact that it leaned so heavily on John um, John Keel because I just knew that John Keel was full of crap that he definitely was a disinfo agent. So um, John Keel and there was another character uh, just like him. They whenever there was a cryptid UFO or alien sighting of some sort. He would show up in these sleepy little towns, set up in a like a hotel room, and start writing articles and books about the story. He'd be interviewing all the locals. He'd be the one sort of driving the narrative. And if you read his um, Mothman prophecies, is that the book? Co- what the book called? He yeah. like it's so bizarre the way he sets it up. It's like he was this enlightened uh, genius that came into this like town of backwards. Idiots, yeah, and he he's writes
1: like, it like David Wilcox talks.
0: Exactly, so I I really don't respect characters like this. Like it's like you have to be suspicious if some beatnik shows up in your town and he starts asking questions and poking around, and and he can just like magically afford to be in a hotel room for like a couple months writing stories about a, a moth mothman flying around in like your city. Who the hell is like this guy? Funding this. Yeah, Where's the money coming from this? Like, yeah. what is the what is all of this? So, and like...
1: You're talking about Ivan Sanderson. Was that the other guy that you were thinking about as well?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Ivan Sanderson was very similar. Uh, he was a biologist. And what he would do is he sort of... Like with the Flatwoods monster and a bunch of other cryptids, he would basically... Re- Even the,
1: <clears throat> the Patterson Gimlin.
0: Yeah, he would basically reason what the biology of these creatures was. And then... Uh, lend more credibility to the stories by essentially trying to make it seem like, oh, look, they had to have been real because I can imagine where its intestinal tract would have been. And it's like that does sort of make it seem more real when a biologist, you know, comes along and says, I understand the biology of it. Um,
1: But, you know, that's the thing. I'm, I'm sure that there are, like, embryologists... Believe in creation. There's right. people that can separate their. Right,
0: compartmentalize like, their beliefs. Yeah, yes.
1: their belief and their spirit religion. Well, I. Yeah, you know, so just because you're. Just because you have something, you know, you, you couldn't be like a fertility scientist I know, and be like, I know, I, don't an, believe in.
0: I know of an astronomer that's a flat earther. Like, he'll go to work and he'll use his left side of his brain and he'll say this star is x number of miles away but then he goes home and then he says the earth is flat and all the stars are on a sheet uh above the mm-hmm. sky it's like com- people can com- compartmentalize their beliefs like that yeah uh, um yeah. but yeah so I, yeah i'm
1: the whole the mothman thing was like i don't feel that mothman would have been as um that whole generation of Fortians, and the weird stuff going on in West Virginia, like I, t- it's almost like they wanted it to be a big deal. I wonder what it really truly was. And I wonder what the um, same with like Jay Allen Hynek, like I wonder where or what the rationale was behind making a spectacle of these things. Right, I I
0: asked that question in the Mothman series, and I I I asked like a bunch of different possibilities. Was it was John Keel working for the Russians, and he was just trying to get like citizens to describe intricate details about like the the strange craft that they see in the sky, so that they can get more information yeah. on like the secret military technology that's being tested in the area? Because uh, Wright Patterson Air Force Base was only like a couple hundred miles away, so they mm. would have seen every spy plane that flew out of that area yeah um so but then what is yeah so what but yeah that is the big question why did they sensationalize it when they didn't have to why didn't they try to bury it instead because they went to the media and they encouraged the local media to write about it and sensationalize it
1: well because i think that it was maybe not as maybe it was a psyop it may not be the right right term no i think that that's the right term for it where you're where it's like a weird person comes into town let's see if everyone tells him everything
0: right and that's that's Just because
1: it was weird right and it's so like, but it's like that if you could do that like that would be smart like if you because there was a munitions factory right there right so if they were going to start like building nuclear weapons or whatever they were going to do there you know they want to know is this town going to talk
0: exactly because the first, w- first, w-
1: first weird thing that they saw yeah. they were like telling everybody about it telling exactly. weird journalists, and it was kind of like they failed that
0: right so first i think was- i think that that is the most likely scenario is it was a test they were testing yeah. the town and not only that but it was a greater test at how this sort of thing sort of affects americans in general like if this were to happen anywhere in the united states what could what could we expect from the locals
1: I don't think anyone could get away with it now.
0: No, not I don't think they they could could could. get away with it now. But I think Uh, that the government
1: back then, like, there was some wacky – like, they were doing tests with LSD. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, all the top brass there, they had some, you know, crazy ideas. I reckon that they were like, let's dress up some guys in weird outfits, make the townspeople see some weird shit. So that it's almost like, you know, clapping with, like, you know – doing something with one hand and then doing other weirder stuff in the other. Mm. So they're like, let's make them focus on the really sensationalized stuff so that they don't notice the other top secret stuff we're doing, right. like with the YouTube bomber and all right. of those kinds well, of things.
0: And that's possible. That's possible. You I mean, wouldn't get
1: away with it now. Like if you saw someone dressed up as like a mothman running around, people wouldn't believe it. Whereas back then it was kind of like...
0: There was no precedent for something like that back then. So, yeah.
1: And it was a, like almost um, like that with the internet. You could see something weird, you know,
0: well, somebody, in Kingston. Somebody and sent then everyone me...
1: around the internet knows about it in day.
0: Yeah. And um, I mean, with technology today, with the kinds of things that are available, like people, I've, there's literally a YouTube channel where they put together uh, their own flight suit with jets, like little jets that they attach to their arms and their back. And it's like, all you need to do is put a set of wings on and that's Mothman. And it's like, there's, there, we have modern technology today that's available to the average person that can explain something like that. If you were to see it, you'd say, oh, that's probably just a guy in a suit. And then you'd probably go to the news and say, there's some guy in a suit pretending to be a moth. And isn't that hilarious? Mm-hmm. But yeah, back in the 60s, because that technology hadn't been um, declassified yet, because people had no, like there was no precedent for it. There was no understanding of that kind of technology. Just like with that, you know, nuclear drone. It's like people, people couldn't make
1: believe it's a monster. See,
0: People couldn't possibly have imagined that it was military. They would have their minds would have gone to something supernatural, something like an angel, like the uh, the one uh, witness said. So you mentioned J. Allen Hynek. Now, I don't Mm. know how you're going to respond to this, but Mm. technically. Technically, J. Allen Hynek is a disinfo agent.
1: (laughs) Okay, Was well, tell me your reasoning behind it. Okay,
0: well, if you guys at home don't know, Jay Allen Hynek was the head of Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book was the government, or to be more specifically, the Air Force's um, response to the UFO phenomenon. Anytime a cryptid, uh, an alien, or a UFO was spotted anywhere, Project Blue Book was contacted. They would very often send an agent out to interview people and then they would every single time come to the conclusion that it was swamp gas or a weather balloon or a bird or something explainable so when there were things that probably were i don't know secret military technology or maybe even something that was supernatural it's like project blue book's purpose was to dismiss everything all of these claims as something natural and something easy to explain.
1: Yeah, in his, in, in, I think his, yeah, original purpose when he was working for Project Blue Book was that yes, to, to to quell any kind of public hysteria to do with whatever weird things that they were doing.
0: Exactly. And that's that's the point I'm getting at. And, you know, by the end of his career, when he was done and even before that, that's not what he was. But functionally, in his role of the as the head of Project Blue Book, his job was to literally create disinformation.
1: Yeah, that's the whole like, you know, uh, swamp gas, swamp gas. Was yeah. all this.
0: swamp gas was the whole swamp gas thing was Project Blue Book. Uh, they, they're they the ones that came out and said that Mothman was a sandhill crane. like
1: Yeah, which is the best.
0: Yeah, I love that one.
1: And do not shoot it, whatever you do. <laughs> like, that was the best part yeah. of it. It's like, it's a migratory bird and don't shoot it. Yeah. Even if it is 10 foot tall running at you, like, call call your local CIA <laughs> member instead
0: yeah that's the most suspicious part it's just a bird guys but you're not allowed to shoot it
1: (laughs) well it is true that migratory birds are protected from hunting and stuff like that they are
0: in most places not everywhere not Um, everywhere i don't
1: i don't buy i hate it when people are like oh it's an owl and it's like no it's an insult to to tell those like country boys that they don't know what an owl looks like exactly. when they've grown up hunting in the woods like they know what a fucking owl looks like the, and if they say it's not an owl I'm going to trust it that it's not an owl
0: in in my mothman series um I concluded with Occam's razor that it was an owl but in my heart of hearts I know that that's not what it was it obvi- obviously I'm thinking it's more likely it was some sort of like weird jetpack ne- technology um but you know, I wasn't there. I don't know, but Patrice is 100% right. I 100% um, uh, want to um, back that mindset that it is entirely an insult to tell people that live in the country that would be exposed to owls that they don't know what an owl is. That they've, ne- mm. and even that woman, um, Marcella Bennett, who yeah. uh, injured her child because she was so shocked at it. Like to tell her that that wasn't an owl, that it wasn't seven foot tall. That's the other thing is that a couple of these people saw it right up close and they right up close, they said it was seven foot tall. Like, how do you tell them that they're wrong about how tall an owl is?
1: Mm. All right. What about modern, what about modern gatekeepers? mm. Like, who do you think is the now someone who's like, You know, we live in this weird world now where, uh, you know, are we dissident just by questioning people, by questioning the official story? Like it's falling out of favour just because of the turbulent times that we're living in. And it makes anybody that wants to question and not just accept, like it puts a... A, a, you know it puts a target on your back because you're questioning
0: well there was a time uh like with the philadelphia experiment um uh the guy that basically you know um that started the whole thing off his book at least it was his book about ufos that he he was questioning you know
1: Mark- he, jessup
0: jessup yeah sorry jessup so Jessup was a ufologist in the 50s. And the United States military had no tolerance for UFO talk in that time. And there was literally a time when the consensus was that if you question the status quo, that you're creating dissidents. And I think that there might... Returning to that. There might be... Well, they're definitely starting to return to that now. Um, but there, there might be something to that argument, though, as Patrice says, that just by like we like to question things, we like to um, come up with the alternate reasons for things, we like to um, we like to shake things up. But but again, that's another just like how with the alternate history thing, it's like even just this form of like questioning the status quo can that create, like, a divide in mm. in a, like, civilized society? Can you literally wedge people away from each other by creating these sorts of questions? And is there and is there a line that you we should not cross when we question these sorts of things?
1: Oh, and that's the thing, because now it's all very serious. Yes. Like, even 10 years ago, we were, like, talking about stuff, and people would be like, oh, yeah, that's fun, like, it's just a little bit of fun, bit of this, bit of that. But it, now, it's, it is it's fun kind of like, it is still fun. Yeah, I like it. I have fun doing it. But that's because I like, we we stop talking about it and we just go back to our normal lives and we don't create an entire... We're not
0: invested in it.
1: Yeah, we're not invested in it. Like we talk about it like, wow, that's interesting. You know, but it's not like we, yeah, have stock in it. Right, but there say. are
0: people that take it too seriously.
1: Yeah, and I think now we're seeing this <clears throat> in the community at large where people are talking about the things that we're talking about now um, and conspiracy theories. I'm, I'm doing air quotes. Mm,
0: big air you quotes. You can't
1: see them, but I'm doing big air quotes going, these conspiracy theories, they weren't harmful mm-hmm. because it was only a small percentage of people that would talk about them and engage with them. And even when you look at like old forums and stuff like that, it was never like dangerous or harmful it was just people thinking out loud and wanting to talk to people that had those thoughts the same whereas now like a lot of people more people it's become a majority where people are prepared to question
0: mm-hmm. well and i think
1: that that's what's making people
0: i think too that afraid. there's like a worry the people in charge the people in charge i think are worried because so many of us now think this way that we're now willing to sort of question reality in this way that it opens Mm. us all up to being victims of psychological warfare. And and this is like, this is the new era. This is the new era that we're in. Um, It's like, uh, again, I'm not saying you or I or or our audience (laughs) here, you guys are all very smart people, obviously. But like the greater community at large is just like naive, bushy-tailed, wide-eyed people who are just curious and those yeah. people are so susceptible to disinformation, and that's like the more nefarious mm. side of disinformation is like foreign agents who are trying to create a divide in a civilized community or civilized society.
1: Yes, and so yeah, it's a really
0: and this is it's what,
1: hard to think, isn't it? Like this, you don't want to be part of that. I don't want to. I don't want to participate in that.
0: Right. And but that, I
1: still want to be able to have my own opinion and, that's and what... be able to like talk about things and because I still think that yeah we should be stimulating our mind because it's the last thing that that isn't controlled is our ability to think for our fucking selves
0: and this this is what I was getting at I know that it like really upset a lot of people when I, when I talk about how you know there can be nefarious uh, reasoning behind some of the you know some of the narratives that are pushed in these like alternate history communities and stuff but this is why is because there are is incentive for um, some uh, some groups to feed us information that's not true, or at least like parts of information that are true, to change our mindsets in a way that is harmful to the greater society. And like you have to start, we're in that era now, guys, where we do have to start questioning when we hear information, like if, if about anything, Bigfoot. Uh, cone heads, like whatever it is that people are telling you about, like you have to question like am, does does this narrative exist to basically make me look down on somebody else and divide me from them, and like I see that more and more, and that's i that's why I pumped the brakes with the alternate history series because I could see how my work could even be contributing to that.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a. Um... Yeah, I always want to help people question things. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, be able to like spot, like, because all it is is like, I feel like we should be using our brains to have that capacity. And don't ever let people think that you can't think for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, or create or have your own opinion on something. And that's what annoys me is that, like, sometimes even when we do this, we feel censored.
0: Yeah. Oh, we are censored.
1: Yeah. But even now I go, oh, I can't say that. I can't do that. But I'm just thinking, yeah, you know, maybe we like really shouldn't um, be worried about that because we're then adding to that problem. Because I think that people should be able to have like, there should be almost like a just culture, I guess, where people should be able to say how they feel and what they think you know even if it isn't popular because how are you going to be able to you know ever get past people's differences if you're not prepared to like fully hear them out
0: well i'm never ever going to stop questioning things and i think that that's fun and i feel like all of you guys at home should always feel open and welcome and safe in being able to question things and Mm. you know that, that's sort of the beautiful thing about you know being in a free society is that we' they'll never be able to take that away from us even if they take away every single one of our liberties like you'll still have your mind and you'll still be able to
1: they'll try and take that away
0: They'll try but you'll still be able to, to wonder and, and to question things you know with yourself and with your peer groups and stuff so mm. that will never end but when it comes to sharing, things that you think you've learned narratives you've heard or whatever just be very careful um that you know the information that you're hearing is does not come from a place of uh ill intent because that exists now
1: well yeah i feel that you know something which um it's it's a it's a lost skill so much now because we've become so reliant on information just being so readily available to mm. us on the internet the google and we age just assume, has sort of
0: ruined things yes
1: yeah we assume that people like i think maybe for the large part we feel like if something exists on the internet that somebody smarter than us has put that on there you know for the most part no one's smarter than anybody else
0: I'm smarter than a it lot of people. It just takes
1: <laughs> Okay, yeah, except for Greg. Greg's smarter than everybody. But <laughs> um, But for the for the most part, you know, it's a we've lost a certain level uh, of the skill of discernment. Mm-hmm. Well, know, because we have readily available un un you know moderated Information available to us. And instead of it being moderated by someone fact checking it or saying this is right, this is not, basically it's just if it's popular, it becomes true. So the majority of people believe something, then that becomes a fact, but it's not really a fact
0: well, at all. Google, YouTube recently went on a giant headhunt and basically destroyed thousands of videos, channels websites or at least links to them um they totally like totally neutered the conspiracy community um years ago Uh, like a couple years ago and or about a year ago and patrice and i like as you know being big fans of like the strange and unexplained she and i could remember tons of stories and narratives and things that we had heard throughout the years and when we went to look for them they were just gone because YouTube had killed them. And so we were able to find modern sources that still talked about some of these things. And 95% of the time, we were able to source the information back to Pinterest. Like Mm. a horrendously high percentage of the time.
1: And that's really weird. It was extremely suspicious. Like bizarre, like if you Google image reverse search things or they'll they'll come from like obscure websites from the Czech Republic or right. from you know Russia or East, Georgia. eastern
0: european countries. Yeah, it's
1: just really weird and it always seems to be like it has this weird connection to Pinterest.
0: Yeah. So it's so
1: strange.
0: So I I I warn you. This is I'm not going to go into detail as to why cuz I don't want to paint a giant target on my back here. <laughs> but this is my <laughs> warning to you guys what you should do when you're researching this stuff on your own always reverse search it try to find the source and if you find that, that the source is Pinterest don't trust it at all
1: mm. I promise, really you, strange, like, I promise I you I promise
0: mean. you that we're correct about that mm. um, but yeah so like the modern to say like what who are the modern gatekeepers who are the modern disinfo agents like I think that there are certain people like um in the history community like brian forrester and stuff like that i don't like a lot of what he says is true but i feel like he is hiding stuff that he knows is true to and i don't know if that's because he wants to serve his own narrative that he's very proud of and that it would Mm. hurt his ego or if he's part of some greater community of people that want to keep the narrative on a specific track
1: yeah i'm glad you brought up the whole like Forbidden archaeology, ain't you? And aliens thing. Because I feel that, like in your last stream, like maybe we were a bit vague with what we meant. Yeah, yeah. When we were talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. um, Yeah.
0: Well, we said we. I used the word racist, and that seemed to trigger a few people into thinking that. Now I'm a I'm a feminist because I used the word racist. (laughs) So.
1: That was hilarious.
0: (laughs) Um. No, think like you should be like. Like you should be able to criticize. Racism when you see it without having to worry about being called a feminist. Where you like things can still be racist, and so the alternate history community, the that whole like subsect of strange and unexplained and stuff like that is like you again. That's where you have to be the most discerning when you when you I look agree. at that information.
1: I agree with a few of the comments where like where they talk about that word racist and it being overused and then it losing its like meaning. I agree. Like, I, I I thought about that. I saw those comments and I thought about that later. And then I realized I'm like, I think that we didn't because we try and skirt around it because yeah. it's kind of an awkward... Yeah. It's an awkward thing to openly talk about yeah. online.
0: I, um, I feel like eventually uh, we're going to have to sort of dissect that a little bit. But I, she, she, she is right. I do try to... I do Every time I bring it up, I try to just get it out of the way and move on as quickly as possible. And in doing that, I always forget <laughs> that you guys aren't in on what I know all the time. So you don't understand the exact context of what I mean when I say that, but...
1: And I think what we really meant was, at the very least, it's culturally insensitive. Yes,
0: culturally insensitive is a much better um, term to use.
1: It's a better term than saying it's like soft racism. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of what it is. But then, having said that, there are lots of things that people like Randy Carlson, like graham hancock like brian forster like all of those people that they have spent lots of times um lots of time researching these things and there are legitimately in like questions that deserve answers and yes. deserve yes. like further thought
0: absolutely but when, when i was yeah when i was referring to the racism i didn't actually reference a specific example of it properly um there i promise you there are racists. People in those communities that are pushing extremely racist narratives. But those are because we're not willing to talk about that. um, Yeah, I probably shouldn't have used the word racist because without being able to tell you an example of that, you guys have no idea what I was talking about. So, yeah, I I take the blame for just throwing that word out there without giving an example of it properly. Um, Yeah. But that being said, um, with with Brian Forster being a gatekeeper, I don't think he's a gatekeeper for that community for for the racist, as it were, for the people that actually are pushing those those uh, culturally insensitive narratives. And it's not I fair that, either
1: to like misalign people no, with that. And no. I I've thought about that as well because yeah, it would be a shock, and I wouldn't like to hear someone um, you know like yourself, whose opinions I respect, like call me a racist for being like interested in something you know which
0: well i mean you came pretty damn close when we oh, discovered yeah. this to to um accusing me of it though and like thank god you gave me the benefit of the doubt and <laughs> because you also have people in your life that are into it too and you know that they were as naive to it as i was that yeah. that these there are like actually nefarious people pushing some of these narratives
1: yeah because what it it does is, that, is it is it is about um like you said cherry picking information to push certain agendas. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, with, well, like, you
1: know different kinds of superiority. So
0: when I when I and, call when I call Brian Forster a gatekeeper, I, I don't mean that in the sense that I think that he is part of some community of like maybe mm-hmm. maybe I don't know, but I think that it, he his gatekeeping is more about probably just protecting his own narrative that he's created.
1: Yeah. Because that's the thing, because they make books, they write books on it.
0: Right. So there's very little incentive for people, even in the truther community, to be fully forthcoming with the truth. Because each of them has an ego and each of them has a career. And like, all of a sudden, half of your library that you've written is now useless if you accept that some information that you've been writing about for years is wrong.
1: Mm. Yeah. And like like we said, like you said in that last, um, in that last stream that sometimes it's like, for what purpose does this information being out there, you know, serve? And people are free to believe whatever they want about whatever they want.
0: Okay. So we've been going for about an hour and 20 minutes here. So we'll read a couple more super chats take a quick okay. break. And then we will find a couple stories that you guys have sent us. I uh, remember if you want to have your voice heard Uh, Super Chat is the fastest way we'll read Super Chats uh, three times per episode Um, and and if you have a first hand account of a crazy thing that's happened to you um, something that you know somebody might call into Art Bell's coast to coast AM and tell their story about well you can email us fullmetaltuxedo at gmail.com and we will read your story live on the air or if you send us a voice note or like an audio recording of you telling the story we will play that live on the air so uh, another one from Stabby here. Uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for your generosity, bud. He says, thank you both so much for your input. Two quick questions for Patrice. What set you down your path as a pagan? And what does being a pagan mean to you?
1: Okay. Well, I, you know, that's an interesting question. Everyone take a seat. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, we're going to be here for yeah. a while. Um, I guess for me, like, you know, I'm glad that you had another super chat because I was going to mention as well, another way that you can maybe be able to connect better with your new partner is, um, like just by being more connected to nature. I think that my kind of spirituality, um, and what put me down that path was kind of, um, was about figuring out that I didn't need to be in a church, that I live in my church. And by like treating people around me um, and the world around me as, you know, a God figure, or treating somebody as a God or goddess, like just having the the mutual respect for my environment and for people, like that resonated with me more. And so I think that we've become quite uh dissociated from the fact that we are like physical beings like animals living in a physical world and so um you know just being able to be kind of more grounded and I I do it as a way of reminding myself that um you know by by just uh observing things like lunar cycles and by by you know, gardening, like even just keeping a house plant, you know, just being able to watch something, grow slowly. You know, I don't know. There's just something about it which connects me to a, um, a level of spirituality that resonates with me more than just, you know, praying to a sky daddy every night and going to church on a Sunday. Um, you know, so.
0: <clears throat> That's, um actually one of the things that i think that i bond with patrice the most on as well is like my connection to nature my love of nature animals plants just the wildlife and the environment in general and i also derive a lot of my spirituality from there i know the question wasn't for me but this is my show i can do whatever i want
1: (laughs) what was the second part of the question what does
0: it mean you kind of answered that though it's like what does being a pagan mean to you oh yeah
1: so you know in for the most part like i do enjoy like a little ritual here and there um but once again it comes down to like intention setting and i think that being able to like take time for yourself it is almost like a a um you know a a part of self like part of self-care that i do i guess you know like put your crystals out on a um on a full moon and you know do all those kind of things just because yeah it helps slow time down a little bit as well like just being conscious of the time around us not letting it get just you know um absorbed into you know going to work not going to work eat sleep you know just being aware of something greater than you so yeah maybe just get a couple of house plants as well yeah well, those I those little things that connect you I definitely to, need
0: house plants.
1: yeah or even just little things like you've got birds around that you notice always around you know like do you have like an animal magnetism that you didn't even realize that you had before you know
0: well yeah if you if you guys follow my instagram i have birds following me all the time at the conservation <laughs> area they love me for they pigeons
1: reason. they're was, not pigeons no. looking for chips
0: no it was <laughs> chickadees um oh, yeah. wild turkeys um also chipmunks and squirrels uh yeah yeah, so that's a really good advice actually. That if you notice that you've got some level of mag- animal magnetism, like interact, well, with, it, those, interact with those interact with those animals. In
1: the, instead of squishing the spider, just like trap it and put it outside. Yeah,
0: little you things know, like, like that. If you find
1: a moth in your house, like. They they only live for a couple of months and they're trying to get to the moon. Like, give it that it, that chance to get to the moon instead yeah, the, of just letting it die in your house.
0: Those are, you know, are even that's just not what
1: it's meant to do.
0: Even if like, just try to try to interact with those animals that that interact with you, and and you might notice like, even if it's just a karmatic thing, like your karma will will clean up if you just try to help an animal out that's in distress.
1: I also think too, like from a mental health perspective, nothing to do with spirituality, like when you. Um, Like, a lot of, you know, depressive mindsets and things like that, very, like, focused on yourself. And so the moment that you can actually start to put your goodness and attention into something else, Mm -hmm. and when you care for something else, like you care for a plant, you care for something, it just – it shows you – like that, there's something greater than yourself.
0: That is actually spectacular advice.
1: You know, and I think that sometimes we just need that little, you know, just to care for something else. Um, and I don't know.
0: Yeah. So Jeffrey Rudy, uh, thanks for the super chat. Says, I just want you to know, I love the Philadelphia. I loved the Philadelphia video. Thank you, the Philadelphia experiment video. Thanks for the all the content. That's very nice of you. Jeffrey, thank you. Um, That video didn't do very well, but I don't think that it was because it wasn't a good video. I think (laughs) YouTube literally buried it.
1: I think we're going to just be like, fuck it and do the other two videos. We are. are
0: We're going to just do them. And what I think we're going to find is that they're actually going to do better than the original because we're not going to use that dirty word that YouTube doesn't like. Uh, man, thanks for the super chat, says... What's the story behind the podcast's name? Assuming it's not a Full Metal Alchemist reference, LOL. It's not a Full Metal uh, Alchemist reference. Um,
1: yeah, so if you're here because of Full Metal Alchemist, you'll be basically disappointed. <laughs> yeah,
0: sorry guys. We're, I mean, we know a little bit about anime, but this is not an anime podcast. Uh, no, it's like, it's based on the Full Metal Jacket, uh, like, which is a type of bullet, I guess. But a full, like... um. Or, like, a a variation of a bullet, I should say, not a type. But, um, full, like, because the armored skeptic wears armor, but also wears a tuxedo, it's a reference to that it's a reference to the armored skeptic character i i think that i well i mean patrice actually came up with the name but i think
1: the <laughs> true genius in the background
0: <laughs> yes. yes please recede back to the background uh, no uh no yeah patrice patrice very cleverly came up with that nickname or with that name but i think that it's so perfect because it could represent nobody other than the armored skeptic if you know what the armored skeptic is then full metal Tuxedo. I'm
1: sorry. Oh my god. <laughs> no, you so did sorry. The exact
0: opposite. You unmuted I, your microphone. Too oh no. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh no. Yeah. If you need proof that she's sick, she's been muting her microphone every oh single time god. she's coughed.
1: Sorry. Oh, that's so gross. I'm so sorry, everybody.
0: <laughs> so, Truman. Uh, oh, how do you say that name? <laughs> okay. I'm just gonna say Truman. <laughs> sorry, I'm not gonna say the rest of your name, buddy. Thank you for the super chat though. Truman says, been a fan since 2016. So I wouldn't so I would have been part of the staunch skeptic atheist, but I'm glad I grew out of that toxic mindset. I've tried to be more open-minded like a true skeptic. Love the new series and podcast, guys. James. Well, that is an amazing comment. Thank you, James. Thank you. Because that that is exactly my journey. And um, I hate to use the word toxic, but I know Patrice, Patrice has been pretty in our conversation. She's been pretty open about um, what she doesn't For like. A about. second, you're
1: going to be like, she, you are toxic.
0: <laughs> about, yeah, what she doesn't like about the, the atheist skeptic <laughs> community, that there is like a closed-mindedness in that group, but there is a lot of gatekeeping as well. And... I mean, just sort of what we were talking about earlier tonight about um, how people should just be allowed to have their own beliefs and as long as they're not hurting anybody with them, they should just be left alone. But it's like the atheists and the skeptics, or at least that community, there's a lot of people in those communities that just can't let people have fun. They have to crap on everybody's good time and they think that because... They have this perfectly honed logical mindset that they have the right to go and stomp on other people's beliefs and that, you know, push some, like display some level of superiority over these people for believing silly things. And so I'm, I'm glad to hear that there's people in our audience that feel the same way that.
1: Yeah. Because just because you don't believe, like I, I, you know, how we've spoken about this before is that sometimes there are people there that just don't like anything good or beautiful. Right. doesn't matter.
0: That's actually a good point. Sometimes religion. it is just because we're dealing with people who literally are incapable of un- of seeing beauty. Wow. Yeah. Th- that might be the cheesiest thing I've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I just vomited a little in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. okay um we're gonna just take a quick break did you
1: make those t-shirts by the way the ones that said um something even a non-believer can believe in
0: i made those (laughs) yeah even skeptics believe in me oh yeah that was was the (laughs) t-shirt yeah i have a i have a merch store that's one of my favorite shirts actually i wore that one for like months um even skeptics believe in me so uh, anyways yeah we're gonna take a quick break here guys uh thanks for the super chats we'll read a few more super chats at the uh, end of the show uh, but when we come back from our break, we're going to read a couple viewer stories. So we'll see you in a couple minutes. All right, everybody, we are back. So we got a few stories for you. We're going to try to make this quick because we we our last segment went on for way too long. <laughs> God. <laughs> I wonder if it had anything to do with Patrice being allowed to talk about herself. <laughs> no, I'm just joking.
1: <laughs> that's completely, you know, you saying that's completely like unsafe.
0: <laughs> no, don't turn this around on me. That's not fair. This is because my show. Know, who was the one who, when he
1: edited the podcast at one time, was like, I really waffled on a little bit and I was like, I wasn't going to say it.
0: No, I I spent like the whole first third of this show talking about how awesome I am. So it's not really fair.
1: No, it was when you were like intricately explaining like a detail of like a nut or a bolt or something. And I'm like, get to the point, man. Get
0: to the point. So, um... Yeah, we got a few stories for you. I'm just going to start off with a a short one here. These stories do not, they're not really related to each other, but they're just a few fun stories that we picked out of our our pile here. So this one's from Adam. Three things to know about me. I don't scare easy. I love the paranormal content, and I am a former Christian. Now I lived here. Now I lived in a duplex for five years before my fiancé and I moved. Our laundry was in the basement. So you can imagine how many times I went down there. Yeah, my laundry's in the basement too, and I really hate that. So, (laughs) that's annoying. Um, In the fifth year we lived there, I had a 48-hour period where I was terrified to enter the basement. Every time I went down, I felt like I was being watched until I stood up at the top of the stairs and just couldn't find the courage to enter the basement. One day I worked up the courage and never felt that fear again. I never saw or heard anything. It was just a feeling. I cannot understand what happened. I will never forget that fear. Love your content, Adam. So that's that's a really interesting story because we've mentioned that a few times in some of our earlier podcasts about having this strange intuition that you shouldn't go somewhere that you should avoid something and that's like that's such a terrifying feeling and uh we also talked about examples when that actually paid off that when people had a weird intuition to not go somewhere that something scary was there that you should not interact with that they left and it turned out like almost like um, almost like the movie Final Destination where it was just like they left and they ended up being the only one that something terrible didn't happen to or something terrible happened right, right after they left. Um, there was a, a story from, a, from one of you guys in an uh, earlier podcast as well where you were just told to get out of the room. Got to get out of the room right now. And you did, and then the roof, the ceiling collapsed in on your room. So that's that's beautiful. And I've had that too, Adam, I've had that too, where just like something that I had done a million times, a place I had been to a million times, all of a sudden I just get this irrational fear. And it just feels so real, like don't ever go in there again. And uh, I'm glad to hear that you were able to you know, fight off that that fear, work up the courage and go, and nothing ever happened.
1: Alrighty, yeah, basements seem like I just always think of like home alone <laughs> when I hear scary stories about basement. <laughs> the, like incinerator and stuff like yeah. that. That's just what it always reminds me of that. Alright, so that. I've got I got a story here from um look, I wanna say Kara because I have a friend called Kara. But it could be Kara. So it's Kara. I like Kara.
0: I like Kara because that's Supergirl's name, Kara Zor-el.
1: Pardon. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, hey, skeptic. I love the new show and Patrice. I don't necessarily believe in anything supernatural or aliens that interact with humans which might make it seem strange that I am about to share my unexplainable experiences. They're in quotes. I still don't know if these things really happened or if some kind of weird hallucination was happening, but these are the two stories that have struck with me throughout my life. When I was 12 or 13, I walked into my bedroom and saw myself reading a book on my bed. Oh. It really freaked me out. As it would. And I slammed the door shut and ran downstairs to the kitchen and made myself a snack thinking I was going crazy. That's so relatable because that's probably something I would do. I'd be like, oh, my God, that's me on the bed. And then I'd shut the door and be like, I need to eat something. (laughs) Um, Then my sister came into the kitchen and said, how did you do that? Turns out she had a conversation with me that was in my bedroom and then came down the stairs to see me in the kitchen. There was no way for me to have gotten there without having to pass her unless I jumped out of the second story window. We told our parents and other sisters, but they obviously didn't believe us. So we both just let it go. I did hear her talk about it about 10 years later and she still remembered it.
0: That is so cool. That is an incredible story.
1: Can you imagine? I wouldn't be able to deal with that. Seeing someone. Like so see, what is that? Seeing yourself. It's so like that, a doppelganger. Is
0: that, that what I was going to ask? Is that a doppelganger or is that yourself out of time?
1: Yeah, like, or is it a residual haunting?
0: Or, yeah, it could be a haunting as well.
1: Like, you know, if it's um, you are seeing yourself doing something that you've done I would, a million times. I would
0: like to know more about what this conversation was like between she and oh, yeah. her doppelganger and her sister. If That, that would have been
1: interesting.
0: If that would have lent... I do like that detail. It's like I walked into my bedroom and I saw myself on the bed reading a book. I thought, oh, that's a bit fucked up. I might as well go eat a sandwich. Like, yeah, I agree. I probably would have done the same thing. Maybe maybe it's just uh, my low blood sugar. Maybe that's what it is. I love the detail, though, that the sister corroborated it by Mm. actually interacting with this thing.
1: And the reason I chose this story too is because she has a second story which reminded me oh, of you know, right. our ongoing... She, she did you, say two like, stories. Yeah, our ongoing um, conversation with shadow people and sleep paralysis because I've been so fascinated by that. So mm-hmm. I really love hearing anybody's experiences with that, however mundane they are, because I find that very intriguing. She says that the second experience is one that still keeps me up at night. Ooh. Right after I had my second child, my husband has gone, uh, was gone due to military training. So it's very American to say thank you for your service. Yeah, you know, isn't it?
0: Yes, correct. <laughs> um, Didn't serve as so, our countries. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, I'm. All, I'm still all four people who are prepared to lay down their lives oh. to protect oh, no. the liberty. that and was I was being that we enjoy. Yes,
0: absolutely. <laughs> Most respect so, to those who serve,
1: and especially military wives as well, because that's some hard business. That's like single parenting. Yeah, you know, and yeah. not knowing if that person you love is coming back. So, much respect to you as well. So it was just me and my baby and toddler in the house. It was in the middle of the night and I was asleep, but I heard someone say, wake up.
0: Ooh.
1: I opened my eyes. Ugh, I just got shivers. And there was a man that was entirely black just about to touch me. Oh, no. I can't even imagine as a woman, Jesus your Christ. husband's away and you've got two children in your house and there's someone above your bed about to touch you that's just told you to wake up. No. As soon as I opened my eyes, the man jumped back and walked backwards to the corner of the room away from me. I was terrified and turned on the light by my bed. As soon as I turned on the light, the man disappeared. I don't know why, but I just knew I wasn't seeing things and there really was someone there.
0: Oh my God. That is terrifying.
1: I searched the room because I thought I had left the door unlocked by accident and someone made their way into my house. I couldn't find anyone, but I was so terrified that I grabbed my kids and drove an hour away to my mum's house.
0: I do not blame you. I would have. I, I probably would have done the same thing.
1: I refused to stay there by myself um, for the rest of the time we lived there. And still to this day, if I'm awake in the middle of the night, I'm afraid. Um, to turn off any lights or even go to sleep for the fear I might see that man again. I can't really explain why I'm so afraid of him, but I've worked myself into panic attacks over it multiple times. It's been four years, but I still see his dark figure so clearly and I know it wasn't a dream.
0: So that's. And I
1: I believe you. Oh,
0: I believe you. I believe you. That's very vivid. So we've, yeah, we talked a lot about shadow people in a previous episode and that is a perfect shadow person sighting. So I guarantee you though, like, I know that it's not my place to say this, but the thing that told you to wake up was not the thing that was about to touch you. Some, mm-hmm. I think that something else told you to wake up so that that wouldn't happen to you.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> because there's a lot of stories too about, you know, people just feeling like touching them mm-hmm. is going to be the worst thing that possibly happens to them. You right, and,
0: well, and that's essentially like when we're talking about sleep paralysis... Like if that's shadow people doing that, like the fact mm. them touching you is them negatively affecting you. So yes, you absolutely did the right thing. I don't blame you for driving to your mother's house. That is, that's absolutely terrifying. So I've got yeah, one, no. I've got one, especially
1: here. to get your kids up in the middle of the night No. and put them in the car, like and take them an hour. No, like that's serious you. business, especially when you know that you have to pack them all back up and take them back the next day. Like,
0: yeah. yeah. No. If you say if you there. say that you know what you saw was real, and then you know it was not in your head, I believe you, because there there is like a a level of like intuition with stuff like that. Okay. So the next one here, uh, is from Lady Stein. This is an interesting story about a duck. Oh yeah. Okay.
1: A Duck story.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love ducks. So. Um, uh, when I was when I was little, my sister's best friend lived close to us. Her friend's family was tormented by this duck. No kidding. I looked up ducks a while ago on Google, and apparently ducks are just horrible birds just because, well yeah, Canadian geese too are, are uh, our favorite animal up here in Canada. They're like they're even worse. So I yeah, ducks are <laughs> ducks can be pretty bad. Anyways, one time my mom was walking to my sister's bus stop and that demon duck followed her. My mom moved to the other side of the street, but the de- duck kept following. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> the duck tried to cross, but cars kept getting in, in the way. My mom finally got my sister and quickly left. Another time, my mom picked my sister up from her friend's house. I can remember my mum rushing us into the car. My mom was holding me while she was putting me in the car, and I was looking and I was looked down. The duck had his mouth open, like I was his meal. He was trying to grab. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting. <laughs> so ducks don't have teeth, but it looked like little sharp teeth in many rows. It's burned into my memory forever. The friend's dad sliced his head off with a shovel. He buried the the it in, in the backyard. I trust my mom, my sister and her friend. So when she told me weeks later, the friend saw it digging itself self out with no head. I knew it was true. Pictures finally being pictures finally being free from this demon duck. And looking out on the glass doors to see a duck coming out of the ground. I don't know what happened to the duck. I hope it died. But I I know this is true. It was one of the scariest things in my life. Google ducks. You won't think they're so cute after that. Thanks for reading, guys. Keep being awesome. So that's terrifying a zombie duck a headless zombie duck digging itself out of its grave i love that image that's terrifying that's a really fun one thank you so much lady stein for the story i love it
1: <laughs> yes. all right oh my god
0: <laughs> you know some of that i have to imagine is like you're you're you were a child so I'm going to say, you know, some of that's got to be your imagination because you you could obviously pick up on your mother's stress being afraid of the duck and everything. Uh so maybe your imagination ran away on you a little bit and you you saw teeth that weren't really there. And obviously you you personally didn't see the duck dig itself out of its grave headless, but that being mm. said, if any of that is true, uh I love that story it's terrifying <laughs> <laughs> so, so we have one more
1: uh yeah I'll do this one hang on a second Whoop. something spooky happened to my cousins and me during a hunting trip hello Greg and Patrice I hope you're doing great love the new format and I'm a long time armored skeptic fan also before starting I want to apologize for any grammatical or spelling errors English is not my language. Hell, it's not even my second. I have so much respect for people that know yeah. how to speak more than one language. No kidding. And especially then like tell a story well, in a, English a different is, language. English is my you first know?
0: language and I struggle with it. So yeah, no yeah, disrespect.
1: So this happened to me about 15 years ago <laughs> when I was a teenager. I'm from Buenos Aires, Argentina and was visiting my uh, uncles and cousins in the Corrientes province. They have a ranch and a few fields. With me and other cousins from other uncles, my dad has six brothers. I think, like, this is completely unrelated, but I watched a, um, like, like a foodie episode on, like, the Grand Market in Buenos Aires, mm. and it looked so good. Like, apparently they make this, like, frittata there, which is just straight-up cheese and potato. <laughs> I just needed it. Amazing. Like, I'm sorry. Sorry, but I just felt like everyone needs to know that. <laughs> um, we pretty much had free range to come and go as we please. And my cousin Carlos already had his driver's license and we could borrow the 4x4 track from his dad. So we usually went to parties, hunting or driving in a nearby lake. That sounds like an awesome holiday, like just hanging out with your cousins in the country, whenever yeah. you want. The only place we were forbidden to go after dark was one of the fields that my uncle owned a few kilometers Um, down uh, from the area surrounded by a little forest Uh, this was once a battlefield used during the Argentinian unification campaigns and supposedly we weren't allowed to hunt there because it was of archaeological importance but when you're a teenager where are you going to go especially where your uncle tells you not to go
0: (laughs) absolutely
1: (laughs) um uh but the dumb kids we were, the more our uncle forbade us, the more we wanted to go. Also, it didn't make any sense because we were allowed during the day as long as we went in groups and we didn't take anything from there. There were arrowheads and other Indian weaponry just laying there like 150 years. And we even saw a bunch of rusty Remington rifles piled up against a huge tree. That's so cool.
0: That is awesome. I want to go so now. That's so
1: cool. Um... That's awesome. Uh, One night we told our uncles we were going to go camping on the other side of the lake. (laughs) So you've gone the complete, like, you know, other way. There wasn't any cell phone reception, so they couldn't call us. Wow, there was, like, a lot of thought put into this. (laughs) I love it. And then sneak into the field. Once there, I saw a huge hare and I took a shot. I'm a pretty good shoot and I'm pretty sure I hit it, but the bullet didn't hit the ground behind it. But, sorry, but the bullet hit the ground behind it like it wasn't even there. The hare didn't even get spooked. It just lifted its head and looked at us and started calmly going d- deepest into the forest. I took another shot, and again, the bullet connected to where it was standing, but it didn't hurt it.
0: Oh, no. <laughs>
1: We followed it for a few meters and we started hearing whistles like something cutting the air.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Something cutting the air. That's such a vivid... Uh,
1: Carlos expression. was a boat hunter and told us it sounded like arrows. Like, you know that sound yeah. like when arrows go past yeah. you? I know
0: exactly what noise that is.
1: We looked at each other and everyone was trying to look tough and not scared at all. But then we started to hear horses running at us from the direction of where the huge hair was going. And that was enough for us. We ran to the truck and went back home. That sounds like some Skinwalker Ranch stuff. Like you know how they saw that giant um, wolf. Yeah. But also, also when I read this, I thought of <clears throat> that, um, that Irish puka, which is that half hair, half dog, that giant hair kind of weird trickster energy.
0: Yeah, it reminded me more of the puka. But the mm. other stuff, the horses and the, the bullets or arrows flying through the air, whatever that was, that almost sounds like it connected with a residual haunting as well.
1: Yeah. Well, listen to this. This end bit okay. this is what got me. We told our uncle what happened and he was furious. Never seen him like that. He told us that we were lucky and told us about his old farmhand, that when he grew older, our grandpa gave him a job at night as a night watcher in that field. He had a little cabin there, and the dude went mad. The old farmhand told stories of how he could hear every night an Indian raid party trampling around war cries and all. He eventually um, ended his life in the cabin. And from there on, nobody's allowed in that field at night.
0: Oh my god. (laughs) That detail of your grandfather getting mad at you for doing it. Ugh. If this story isn't true, you are a master storyteller, because that yeah. is such a beautiful, beautiful detail. I can I can. Oh, my God. Yeah. Being told not to do something, especially at night, and then you go and do it anyways, and then something terrible happens to you. Then you go and tell your grandfather this terrible thing happened. And he's like, yeah, that's why I told you not to do it, because there's freaking ghosts <laughs> out there that want to kill you. Yeah, because
1: I feel like if you had said, don't go to this field because there's ghosts out there at night, then I would have been like, I know exactly where I'm going.
0: <laughs> well, they ended up going anyways, right? You end- I know. And that's, that's when I was a kid, the same thing. Like if my grandparents or my parents told me not to do something uh, like that, I very likely would yeah. have done it.
1: It's, you know, it's really interesting when you, it's not the first time I've heard of, well, like. Well, clearly not the first time we've heard of like battlefield ghosts. Like Gettysburg's mm-hmm. literally like famous. Yeah, for Gettysburg that.
0: comes up a lot.
1: Um, but yeah, like it's a. I wonder if that is something which people talk about, but you know, isn't you know that farmers' experience, but don't really talk about that much because of like the kind of, you know, individual. Well, you know, you're not going to go back home from being out in a field for 15 hours and be like,
0: "I feel." Oh yeah,
1: guess what? I heard this.
0: I feel, in general, when it comes to any kind of supernatural encounter, the vast majority of people who experience it never say a word about it their entire lives, and um, a good deal of the stories that we've received at uh, the Full Metal Tuxedo at Gmail dot com to send your s- stories for us to read on the air the vast majority of these stories that we've uh are not vast majority but a good chunk of these stories that we've received people are saying in them that they've never told this story before like they've never told yeah. anyone so we're the first ones to get to hear it and i think that that's just very typical because when something like that happens who the hell do you tell like most people are just going to think you're crazy that's the problem is that people are going to mm-hmm. think you're crazy for even entertaining such an idea
1: But especially if you're like, oh, yeah, I hear like every time I'm down in this field, I hear like, you know, like some kind of battle, Mm -hmm. you know, like that. That's a whole nother level. Yeah. You're not exactly going to go and tell your wife that after you've been like, you know, playing in the fields.
0: Also, some weird cryptid came out and we shot it twice and it it didn't seem to care. Yeah.
1: Like it was a man size hair.
0: Like that's very that's extremely similar to the Skinwalker Ranch story.
1: Yeah, with the wolf.
0: The wolf man thing that was shot twice and it didn't seem to care until it was shot the third time. And it's just like, okay, buddy, I get the hint. And then it just very slowly left.
1: <laughs> Maybe I could look into some more like kind of bunny man stories. I know that sounds funny to like, like, you know, like were rabbit kind of thing.
0: But that's what the puka is talk,
1: Yeah, but, you know, I don't know. I feel like, and it, the that puka is kind of like the puka is. that's is more tri- folklorish, not like I saw a bloody. But
0: the puka is a trickster spirit, which puts it in the same category as the skinwalker.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, we've been going a fair while, haven't yeah.
0: we? Yeah. Well, yeah. We got to wrap this up because these episodes have to be less than three hours. Uh, but thank you for joining us, everybody. Uh, <laughs> thank you for all of the super chats. Thank you for sharing your stories with us. We got one last super chat. Uh, from Jacksonus Prime Rib here. Good to see you again, bud. He says, what kind of bird do you have? Oh, that—that <laughs> that is a bird that is very, it's outside and it's very loud. Very loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank, thank you, everybody. Um, yeah, and we'll see you next time. Remember, we do this live stream it on Armored Gregory YouTube channel every Saturday night, starting at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and then we upload it to Armored Skeptic More, the final version on YouTube, and as well as Spotify, Apple Podcast, and all of your favorite Yeah, I have podcasts. to apologize
1: because I was unwell. I yeah. did notice a few comments um, on there about it not being on the normal places that you find it.
0: Yeah, it'll, um, be, it'll be up. Don't worry, I'm going to harass Patrice until <laughs> she puts it up.
1: Yes, and I will also, we will endeavor... To do a couple of like some extra bonus episodes i know that i said that the week before that as well it's gonna happen I and we didn't you. do it
0: because <laughs> she got sick yes don't don't worry we're gonna get all of our stuff together and we're eventually gonna get back on schedule
1: yeah yeah thanks we for joining you, we need to provide you the hours <laughs> of our talking we need to like i know that that's my gift to the world
0: yes yeah thanks for joining <laughs> us everybody and have a good night happy saturday night s-
1: Good night, sweet dreams. Don't let the shadow men get you.